Welcome to the Helihead Show. I'm your host, Dump Truck, with my very special guest, Richard Keppel. This is episode 108, and this is a West Coast Takeover Show with Richard Keppel. Hi, Richard. Thanks for joining me today. Thank you very, very much for having me. I'm, I appreciate it. Uh, I'm, I, man, I am beyond over the moon to have you on board. I was, uh, I was once again, I reach out to people and I, you want to do this with me? And some people go, yeah, sure. And I'm like, oh, really cool. So thank you so much. My, my pleasure. Uh, can we, well, so the format of the show is we get to start with, uh, you want to go first, Richard? How was your week? Um, my week was pretty good. I flew a little bit in the backyard. I, uh, I, I drove the old car earlier in the week. Um, I messed a little bit with the retracks for one of the scale helicopters. So all in all, a pretty good week. Oh, that's nice. Nice. Anything else? Mm, not much. Nothing worth noting. Okay. Well, uh, let's see. My week, um, I have not... I have not flown in weeks. It's been, I don't even know the last time I flew. It's brutal. Uh, the weather's been perfect. Well, except for last weekend, but that's whatever. Uh, it was always uh, just working a lot of weekends, a lot of family stuff. Every time I'm like, ooh, I'm going to go out this. Oh, the phone just rang. I got to work. Uh, Self-employed. So... Uh, the only thing I have done is a little bit of simming, which has always been fun. Um, it's it, man. I really broke the cobwebs off with simming. Um, I will say this: I'm putting out in the universe. I'm going to go to the field tomorrow uh, before work. I have to be home for a few hours in the afternoon. I think I'm going to charge a few packs and then just go to the field, work, fly, fly, fly for an hour maybe, and then come to work and mix my brains out. And then outstanding. Yeah, I know. Let's uh, fingers crossed. Fingers crossed. Now that I put it out in the universe, it's probably not going to happen. The only well, the only uh, note uh, I I bought a Xnova eighty thirty kV motor for Uh my Kraken five eighty. I want to go eight S on that, and I bought eight S batteries, so I'm super excited to change that over. Very good to eight S. Have you uh, dabbled in the world of eight S beyond the the standard six S or twelve S setups? No, I'm usually uh, three cell, six cell, uh, or uh, twelve cell. Okay, just about everything. Um, uh, I know I kept going. Should I just do a twelve S thing? But I, I don't know. It just seemed a little simpler just to do an eight S. Just to try. Why not have fun? That's that's what we do after all. It's a hobby. That's true. That's true. Um. Oh, and I I don't know if you want to plug your ears being a. I just bought a new V-Control Touch. Well, not new, a used one from a friend. So I'm very excited to have that in my arsenal, my fleet. A tear, a tear just formed in my eye, but it's okay. <laughs> I know. Sorry to rub and a little salt in there, too, I believe. Yeah, oh, yeah, wow. I, a lot, actually, but well, it's all right. Well, we're going to get into that a little bit later, not the, the, yeah. the tearing and the salting. But, man, there, there's some good conversations to be had down the road here. Yes. That I'm super excited about. Well, uh, Richard, if you don't mind, let's take a little break. We'll hear from our sponsors real quick. Hey, Gooch. What's up, big girl? 
What bat are you running that three blade monster of yours? Oh, the Trinasty? Oh, nothing but the best. Maniacs. What type of head speed you run? All the head speed, 2,500, baby. <laughs> Full send. Maniacs! If you're looking for a top of the line battery for RC models, look no further than Maniacs batteries. These batteries are designed to provide exceptional power delivery and with proper current maintenance allow these batteries to last hundreds of cycles without showing wear. And thanks to their low internal resistance, Maniacs batteries stay cool even under full load. And with a USA service center and a one-year manufacturer's warranty, you can be confident that you're getting a high-quality product that will outlast the competition. Still included is the six-month crash replacement discount. Ah, oh, 30% off MSRP. Give them a try and see for yourself why they're the go-to choice for serious RC modelers. All right, guys, welcome back. I'm here with uh, Richard Keppel. Uh, Richard, where do you live? I live in Southern California. Ah, and uh, all my life. All your life? Yeah. Born and raised? Born and raised. Well, one of the few. You, my wife, and my son, born and raised. Ah. And uh, what do you do for a living? Well, I, it's, it's been a long and, and uh, varied career. I started out working in hobby shops. Oh wow! In the in the seventies, remember I'm old, and then I ended up um, actually through a connection I met at one of the hobby shops working for the old Oli's Home Center hardware chain, where in uh, the corporate headquarters in Pasadena. And from there, I ended up at the uh, telephone company. I worked for Pacific Bell as a sales support manager, and cool. then uh, when SBC swallowed us up, I worked for SBC, and then when we swallowed up AT and T. I worked for AT&T, and I, I'm retired now. I've been retired uh, almost exactly 10 years. Wow. I was a federal service executive with AT&T, so I got to support a lot of high-end federal customers, um, FBI, White House, a lot of different ones. It was very interesting work. FAA, that was really interesting. That would keep you up sometimes 36 hours in a row trying to get stuff fixed for them oh wow so oh wow yeah all, all in all the the pack bell uh sbc at&t thing was a really good experience i had really good uh really good bosses and good work and really good co-workers so i'm, I'm I, I i look back at that fondly some people go oh work was terrible in my case it was not it was oh, great good man that's good to hear especially for a big company like that. So that's awesome to hear. Yeah. yeah. Well, then how long have you been in the hobby? Well, I started like a lot of people did, uh, little rubber-powered airplanes. My dad had built those when he was a kid. So in the 60s, he started teaching me. Uh, he'd take my sister and I out to fly little stick models, and he started teaching me to build stick and tissue. And then about... 1968, 69, I got into U-Control, you know, Cox BBB engines and those things. Hmm. And uh, uh, flew those for quite a while. I didn't get my first RC until 74. And that was a Tester Skyhawk, which was, it looked like a Piper Cherokee, uh, red vacuum form plastic body, uh, white styrofoam wings and tail had a tester 049 on it and it had a pulse 
it was single channel. It was, it was pulse rudder only. So the entire time it's flying, the tail is, has a magnetic actuator and it's just batting back and forth constantly. And when you move the control stick, it would change the average position and you could turn and you could actually, if you turned it long enough and hard enough, it would spiral down. You could build up enough speed to do something resembling a loop. And I, I, I flew that until I finally uh, just beat it to death. No way. Wow. Yeah. So I, I got into helicopters. I, I, I got after the Skyhawk, I got into regular digital proportional, more resembling what we use now. Uh-huh. And then I got into helicopters in uh, 76. I, I bought the antique car in 75 and it needed to be restored and it needed a lot of work and that required money. So I went to work at Hobby Shack in Buena Park in 75 to earn money to feed the Ford. And uh, several people there were playing with RC helicopters and I got hooked on that. And the poor Ford kind of got stuck by the wayside then. Uh, <laughs> but uh, I, I had a, a American RC Revolution 1, which I got from a guy and it was really beat. And I beat it even further. Um, I, I abused the poor, poor thing learning. Um, it was a, kept, sorry, it was a Revolution RC one. It was a Revolution one. It okay. was forty sized, forty fixed. Yeah, point okay. forty. They made a forty later on. They made a sixty, but this was, this was, very very similar to the Schluter Hella Baby. Okay, and uh, uh, some would say a copy of the Schluter Hella Baby. So forget, anyway, so forgive me though. I don't know what a Schluter Hella Baby is though. Oh, I think we need to enter, end the interview right now. <laughs> um, well, Schluter was, there's always a question of whether Kavan or Schluter was first uh, in terms of creating the first RC helicopter. I think it was Schluter. Um, he had a fairly scaled Cobra, which was a really big 60 powered, uh, again, fixed pitch helicopter with a wet transmission. Uh, he then came out with the Hella Baby, which was 40 size, fixed pitch. Uh, the head was free floating on this thing. There were no dampers or anything like that. It was just like a gimbal, and it just floated. Holy cow. Um, hill, hiller only. Um, you, you steered with the fly bar paddles. And the tail was belt driven. And it was not belt driven like we have now where you have a cog belt. It was a flat belt. And it ran on knurled peaked pulley so the pulleys in the hella baby looked not quite spherical knurling on and um you had to be very careful to watch the belt tension because it it sapped they used to say about 30 percent of the horsepower just driving the belt because you had to run it so tight to get it to grip and if it got too loose it would slip and the tail would kick and of course we're talking in a day when there were no gyros. gyros So you ended up with something when, in the case of both the Hella Baby and the Revolution, which was very, very similar, uh, that was absolutely lightning quick in the tail, very slow on cyclic. And because it was not collective pitch, yeah, you had to accelerate and decelerate the rotor to go up and down. So you had to really anticipate things. So you've got this one thing, the tail that's like lightning, and you've got the other three controls that are very slow. And it was very interesting. Somewhere in the garage, I have a 
a bundle of rotor blades, and there's at least 10, there's probably a dozen or more rotor blades. Each one of these is half of a set of blades from when I was learning. Oh, wow. Okay. So I, I, I broke that poor thing a lot, but it was very good. Uh, I'm assuming wood blades, right? Just Oh, yeah. They were... Um, were they covered or coated at all or just straight? They were they were wood. We used to soak the roots in, in Zap, and, and Zap, CA Tech Blue had just come out, right? It okay. was new. <laughs> uh, and then you put... Um, fast cal which was essentially essentially shelf paper you wrap that around them in a very specific way okay and um then you put more zap on them to seal them and the mechanism for adjusting the pitch and again we're talking fixed fixed pitch the blades mounted to a yoke or seesaw that had a little dihedral in it in the center and it again was on this free-floating gimbal with a metal strap a thin steel strap above and below the blade so you took two crescent wrenches or two pairs of pliers or whatever you had and you adjusted the blades the, until the, the pitch and the until blades? They, you adjusted the pitch and the blades until you got the right amount of pitch to have sufficient rpm um and, and now was that trial and error to get that yes. oh. yeah they, they always came with a little pitch gauge they did but it never seemed quite right so you know, you just you do it by trial and error. And of course, the other interesting thing that they did and and Cavan at the time did the same thing in the instruction manuals. It showed you holding the helicopter by the tail boom in one hand, sighting the blades to see if they were tracking and operating the transmitter <laughs> sitting on the ground with the other. And we we did this. And and I know it scared the hell out of me, but this is what you're supposed to do. Right. And I look at it now and I wonder how did any of us live? <laughs> Uh, that that poor old helicopter got rebuilt multiple times i would imagine just from and, i imagine more from just getting the pitch set correctly than anything yeah. well people did also just break the blades trying to set the pitch oh yeah so you go to the trouble and make a new set of blades balancing everything and you yeah. had to set the lead leg uh manually you ran a straight edge along the side of this seesaw and yeah, you know, a lot of work involved, and then you go to just oh, I almost got it. Let me just adjust it a little more oh, no. so it tracks oh, and no. crack, and you'd be done. Um, with that poor little helicopter soldiered on, and each time I rebuilt it, I learned a little bit more. And um, at the end, it turned out to be a very nice flying for what it was, a uh, very reliable little helicopter. So, uh, and I've still got it. It's still hanging in the garage. Right no now. way. Oh, yeah. From, from 1976. So. Still uh, have it. Yeah. It, it will not. It's, it's locked up. You <laughs> can't even turn the head on it, but it's, 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 it's hanging. It's completely intact. Hey, I mean, have you thought about it? That should be, I feel like that should be a museum piece almost like donated to the, or. Uh, well, oddly enough, somebody donated another one to me about six years ago. And I've got that one sitting on a shelf in there. Oh, is a, Okay. Uh, as a as a just because well the person didn't know what to do with it this is the 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 guys out at um carson field who are hmm. really nice people where i fly and yeah and somebody said when i wasn't there give it to richard he used to fly those and he did so i've you know it's it's up on a shelf it's completely intact and uh as far as I can tell, that one never flew. If if I'm not going to say it, but I kind of feel like who I know would have said that to you. 
from Carson. <laughs> uh, all, all I know is that the people out there are very, very decent human beings. Yes. Yeah. I like them. Yeah. So amazing. Yeah, I don't want to embarrass the person that no, gave no, it to no, me, no, but no, I'm no, still no. very grateful to have it. That's amazing. Mm-hmm. Okay, so can I ask you from a from a guy that's when I first dipped my toes into the hobby, we uh, it was still fly barred, but there were gyros. Yeah. And then yeah. then I took a two maybe three year pause, mm-hmm. and then all of a sudden I when I was like you know I should get back into it, it was like fly bars were gone. Yeah. And I was like no way fly bars are gone what and so uh, I've seen as a terrible pilot the the creme de la creme of like how we how we operate and how we fly today so i can't fathom the concept of you churning up speed of your head to get lift but then at the same token of course that's going to kick your tail to move Mm -hmm. so how was that muscle memory did you kind of get the the gist of how much gas let, let's just say gas you gave it in order to give it lift but then the tail to compensate for the tail yeah you you learn to anticipate and as you'd also learn to use you know if you'd goose it and it would yaw left and you'd pull a throttle down and yaw right so you got oh. to where you use that to help turn it oh. and it, it it became natural um and of course if you wanted to increase the throttle and go to the right, uh-huh. you had to compensate more there. So, and it, I remember when the, the Schluter Helleboy came out, that was collective and it had mechanical mixing for the rudder, oh. which was adjustable on okay. a slider. Okay. And we thought we were in heaven when we got that because you could sit there and you could pump the throttle up and down. And if, if you did it right, if you set it right and, and people could do this, um, the average person could do it because I could do it. Uh, you could do it so the tail wouldn't swing. Were your minds blown when the gyro came out? Well, I, I, it was it was weird because when I started, the only gyro out was the Cavan gyro, which was a little black box, uh, like a servo motor in it, and a big brass flywheel on each side of the motor. And then, so, so the, how how big was that though? I was probably it's been a while. I've I've got one out here, but it's been. Well, it's probably an inch and a half, inch and a quarter square. Square, like a total square? Total square, okay. yeah. And and so the, the flywheels, the the axle for the motor is transverse, goes left to right. Okay. Flywheel on either side. Right. And it sat on some kind of a bearing that had a potentiometer in it. So what it would do is the nose would go one way, the gyro would, res- would resist. It would try to stay in the same orientation in space and ignore what the helicopter was doing. It would adjust the pot, and that would change your rudder servo position. The problem with these was they were not stick preferential. So let's say I'm not worried about torque or an external force being applied to the helicopter. If I wanted to yaw the helicopter to the right, it required a lot more effort because you'd try to yaw right, and the gyro would fight you. Oh, because it uh, no no you don't want to go right. I'm staying here. Oh, so and and this is you know there's no heading hold or anything. This is crude, oh. but that's the way it was. So I resisted gyros. Um, me and some of the people I flew with um, was like, you know, you're not a man if you use a gyro. And in <laughs> retrospect, this is about the stupidest thing I can think of. Um, <laughs> later on, I had uh, some of the craft gyros. I think it was the craft. 
uh, there was another one that came in and GMP had one. And those were, of course, still far from a heading hold, but they were stick preferential. So if you went to yaw one direction, the other, it went, okay, let them do it. Didn't oh. help you do it. And it was not like, um, like you have a control loop on a modern gyro where you say, I want to yaw. You, you, you move the stick a little bit. And you're telling Jera, I want to raw at yaw at this specific rate. Wouldn't do that. Okay. But it was, it was a much more uh, natural feeling than like the Gavan. And of course, the tail wasn't swinging every time you, you change the throttle. Um, you could hover with the tail into the wind for a change. Okay. And not worry about it weathering. Flying, though, with that type of gyro, if mm -hmm. you were just doing circuits or loops, was that a, a huge, I need to turn here at X point. Was that a huge forefront thought of like, I need to start turning now and maybe the helicopter will turn? Well, the Cavan the one, I think it would be. I never did more than hover those because I couldn't stand them. Oh, wow. Okay. I just could not stand it because, again, it tries to fight you. So, but I, I think what you're saying is true there uh, about those. Now, once you get into the crafts and the GMP and some of the later ones, then uh, it, it was much more natural. Now, you, you, you weren't going to fly backwards. It was not going to allow that. Okay. But um, and, and a lot of what we did, <laughs> you look at the older helicopters, there are fins. Uh, you, you look at the ones today, and the fins are usually carbon fiber and skeletal. Mm -hmm. Or they're or they're very thin, right? But some of these things had good sized fins on them, and it would weather vane when you flew. Wow. So that's and that's what you wanted it to do. Wow, being that today is you know twenty twenty three, are you just sort of amazed where the hobby is right now, and maybe where it's going? Oh yeah, too? yeah. It's uh, it's so different, and when I say different, it's so much better. I look at some of the things. Uh, we would have killed for something like that. Yeah. The little OMP or Goose Guy helicopters. Right. You know, you take it out of the box, you set it up with your transmitter. Yeah. It not only does it fly, it flies really well. Um, and have you flown one? I, I, I have. I haven't flown the Goose Guy, but I've got buddies that have it. Okay. And I've got the OMP. I was an early adopter of both the M2 and the M1. Oh, cool. So I've got the first cool. versions of each of those. And uh, the, the only fly in the ointment for those are the Goose Guys, which are wonderful products, is right now they do not have JR DMSS protocol built into them, Xbus. Oh. So um, you have to use a protocol converter on your JR receiver to change it from JR Xbus to Futaba Sbus, and it works like a champ. Okay. So, um, but you know things like that, and then, and then you look at like rescue. Yes. Rescue did not exist. I would have killed for that. Right. Uh, and and you want to take that thing a step further. Uh, look at simulators. There were no simulators. When did you see a first simulator that you thought was like, oh wow, this feels like I'm. I want to say early '90s, and it was the Dave Brown simulator. He was uh, he used to fly for World Engines. I ne never knew him, but he used to fly for World Engines, and he used to win all the airplane championships or a good percentage of them. Okay, and so he, I mean, he knew what he was doing with RC. So here he comes up with this simulator, and a friend of mine had it. And the one I saw was helicopters. I don't know if it was 
Uh, it did fixed wing too, but the helicopter was a line drawing of a helicopter. It was like the image you were looking at looked like it was made out of a coat hanger or uh, a paper clip or something, <laughs> yeah. pipe cleaners. Yeah, uh, It was just bare outline of a helicopter, but it was enough to uh, help. Okay. So it, it was still a step in the right direction. If that makes sense. It, well, it does. It does. Every little thing in the, this this hobby is such a cool personal taste aside. It's such a cool tool, whether you like to use it or not. Especially like, yeah. uh, simming for me has been, oh gosh, a lifesaver. And we'll have to do that sometime offline. We'll discuss which sims we have. What over, I'm sure there's going to be some overlap because I think I've got the four most used ones now yeah i have them all too i there's one of them that's my least favorite that i know a lot of people use and it's it's yeah and it's only more because of the the, the software itself drives me crazy it's not the the actual uh the the program or the 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 simulation department actually i think is really cool it's the software that drives me nuts but you know, yeah know, potato, yeah potato. and they're all different in that regard they are which is fine they're all yeah what well, wouldn't if they were all the same It'd be like if all available helicopter kits were the same. Correct. It wouldn't Correct. be interesting. No, it wouldn't know? be interesting then. That's sure. Yeah. And, and yeah, and it's just total. Hey, that's the fun thing about the hobby is there's a lot of options out there, and some of it's personal taste. And hey, yeah. great, man. Yeah. The the other thing that's nice now, whereas before, I mean, years, decades ago, you could buy different helicopter kits. Some were really good. Yep. Some, well, let's say, not so good. Okay. Some had to kind of be repaired as you built them. Wow. And now I don't think you could buy a bad helicopter kit. I think it's the case, as you mentioned, personal preference. Right. Which do you prefer? Right. But, I mean, I've flown and built a lot of different ones, and I can't find a bad one. I only find, you know, good ones or really good ones or really, really good ones, but never a bad one. Yeah, it seems like we're helicopter companies are just putting out insane products where yeah. it's a, a preference thing, a taste thing, or do you like the visual look of a certain brand yeah. versus another? I think the hard one is that if you're not as an experienced builder, some brands have their manuals are a little meh. So yes. I, I could see where... Someone building their first heli, first 700, and the manual's not helpful at all. Could is is kind of like, ah, oh, that's a bummer. All right, but yeah, and I I think that's I I tend to see those things somewhat less because I you know built quite a few of them over yeah. just under five yeah. decades. So um, yeah, I can look at it and something that legitimately would have stumped me 30 years ago, I can go, oh, oh that's what they're getting at. But yeah, no, I, I agree with you on that. And there's always room for improvement on manuals. Always, well, always, always, always. I'm, I'm very. I wish I could had that skill set because, man, the last heli I built, I was looking at the manual, staring it upside down and right side up, going, "What are they yeah. talking about?" Yeah. <laughs> but I, I, I think I, 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 I think I figured it out, and it the heli didn't go in, so I think I did it right. You're ahead. Yes, yes, it's a win. Yeah, it did it, go it in. Is. It is. Uh, that was my joke as I walked out the field. It's like, well, it's either going to fly or, or not. Oh, Here we geez. go. <laughs> Richard, that was amazing. That just all the information about uh, how the hobbies progressed over the years, years and years and years. Um, 
I have to say, though, it, it's kind of insane that you're coming at it because today it's more about just the patience to the physical motor skills and the eye-hand coordination to fly a heli safely yeah. without putting it in every five seconds. But back then it was a mechanical it was everything. It was everything. So I'm yeah. amazed that you stuck it out, quite frankly. Just said a minute ago, you were like, well, I, I just basically hovered. Yeah. Before we move on, though, I wanted to ask you about that. Was that a five-minute hover or a three-minute hover? or? Well, okay, let's yeah, – eventually, obviously, I did get well beyond the hovering, like even with the Revolution. Okay. Okay. So um, I, I flew it around, and I flew it a lot. Um, and, and I also got a Hella Baby, uh, another – somewhat beat up one and restored that and flew the daylights out of that. That's the one name I, I had do recognize from yeah. various. Yeah, the Hella Baby, uh, it was succeeded by the Hella Boy. Then there was a Mini Boy. Hella Baby and a Hella Boy made kind of sense to me. Uh -huh. When they got to Mini Boy, that seemed like it was kind of off the wall, name-wise. Was it actually smaller to be called a Mini Boy, or they just decided? Well, they put the Hella Boy head on a helicopter that was roughly the size of the Hella Baby. So okay. I guess they were looking for, a, I mean, it should have been Heli Mini Boy or something like that. And, you know, people in the hobby knew what it was. Okay. But. Um, well, moving on, what's in your fleet then, Richard? Um, right now, well, I've, 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 I've got too many helicopters. I'm not in hey, Ken Marshall hey, territory. Hey, dies with the most toys wins. Okay. Well, then, then Ken Marshall wins. That's true. We'll catch he, up to him one day. One day I'll catch is, up to him. My role model, and it looks like yours too, and and a really decent human being. That's I've never met the man yet, unfortunately, but I I hope to very very soon. I want to go. Yeah, he's he's just decent human being. Um, let's see the fleet right now. Older ones, I've still got from the eighties. Herbal Falcon seven hundred seven. I've got two eight hundred eights. One is a a stock eight hundred eight, but with a DDF head on it, which is dual damping flapping, which Dual dampening. Yeah, it had um, two separate spindles, each pivoted toward the hub, not a, a, at exact center, but you know, off a little bit, and individual dampers. And this was um, for FAI. This was a Herobo head. Oh. This was their FAI. And it's been, God, three decades since I've flown it, three and a half. But you're sitting there hovering in wind, and it's just saying wind. What wind? I don't care. Because the blades uh, could flap independently and a gust of wind comes by and it's like, it didn't bother it. Holy cow. I, ironically, that head design, when the uh, Velos 880 first came out, it was flybarless, but it had a DDF head in it. And so that was like, oh, this is totally cool. And it very similar. It just flew just beautifully. And smoothly, later on, they modified it and put a regular head with a solid spindle to speed it up, make okay. it snappier. Okay. But uh, I never modified mine because it's like, no, no, I haven't flown one of these in years. I love this head. It's I, it's Stan. Anyway, I've got the 808 with that head. I've got the 808EX, which was a slightly upgraded 808. Okay. Uh, I've got a 60-size uh, Herobo Huey. Four? Pardon me? Are we at four or five now? I lost track. Oh, there's. I'm not going to list them all. I'm not. I'm not even going to bother <laughs> to list them. That's not fair. I asked you to come on. No, yeah, no, I know, but you would. You don't want to sit here and let me go through. I'll send you a spreadsheet later. How's that? Okay, I can all do right. that. All right. 
Uh, but this is just old ones, really old ones. I still have a Horobo Huey that um, I worked at GMP in the Calabasas in the summer of 80. And um, he was just starting to get in the scale Horobo helicopters. And I saw the picture of the Huey and I fell in love with it. So I worked a lot of the um, the money I earned that summer from him turned right around, gave it back to him, and bought the Huey. Oh, yes, the and, old uh, blow your paycheck at the place you work at. Yes, and I was good at that. Oh, uh, well, that's, I, yeah, that's uh, yeah. probably pretty easy to do, right? It Well, you know, working in hobby shops was not good for that. Working for GMP was not good for that. Um, by the way, they were very, very good at GMP. They were very decent people. Oh, wow, cool. uh, John John Gorham was a very decent guy. Um so the uh see the Robo Huey. I've still got the Caban Jet Ranger, which is the one you see in the photographs of Knight Rider. That's the only one of the oh. movie the TV show helicopters that I owned. I brought it in and I flew it and I've still it's it's uh damaged somewhat. Oh it is? Uh, Could you well, fix it? Not from crashing, but from getting moved. Oh no. Oh bummer. Yeah. Uh it, a matter of fact, one side of it it, it doesn't have the armament on it. That was a stuff that Jack Sessoms and his modelers made, and it was put on with hot glue. No, oh. so all that stuff is is long gone. I don't think that even came home with me because it was theirs. Uh, and then a few years later, uh, toward the end of Sessoms and Slagle, Jack borrowed it back, and and I don't know what he used it for, but there's like white striping on one side, like pinstriping tape, yeah. quarter inch wide. And I left that on there. He put it on there. So I just, I left it. So, but it's, it's been damaged because of, I moved like three or four times. I feel like I should, uh, just in case for the listeners, just in case they don't know, you flew models for TV shows. Yeah. Yeah. And I'm sorry, I got ahead of things. No, 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 no. But we hadn't hadn't talked about that. Hey, but you mentioned the model. So it's like, well, we got to talk about it now. Because you posted a photo on Facebook, I don't know, a month or two ago about that picture where you can see the model flying past a model toy kit from Knight Rider. And my mind was blown, by the way. That was sent to me by, I want to say it's the head of like the Knight Rider Appreciation Society. It's a, there's a whole group of people. There's another one for Airwolf that are really fans of these shows. And he oh, was wow. kind enough to send me that because I didn't have it. And he must have gotten it, I'm thinking, from Jack or Pete. So, uh, but yeah, the, you can even see uh, a very skinny me with dark hair in the background holding a transmitter. That was the biggest shock. But a transformer that's ginormous and also an antenna that's that's twice as yes. long as you. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> for some reason i seem to remember that radio being on yellow and white remember the colored frequency flags oh i think i was on 72.960 but i where that came from mentally i have no idea but uh amazing back to our current topic which is what's in your fleet so you're on yeah. the, the bell yeah the 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 jet ranger, jet ranger. Uh, i've got a schluter Hellboy, which um Sadly enough, is from a, a friend of mine who passed away a few years ago, Ed Baxter, oh. who we'll talk about later. Okay. Uh, and I've got uh, several GMP crickets. Uh, I've also got, I mean, I've got Align helicopters. I've got Mikado helicopters. I think I've only got one of those. I have a couple of Saab helicopters. Uh, Thunder Tiger, if you remember Thunder Tiger. I do. Um, uh, I've got a few clones. 
Um, I've still got, I, I was toward the end of their life, uh, the team manager of our compass helicopters. Oh, wow. Which I, oh God, I, I still love those helicopters. Those were just wonderful flying helicopters, every friggin' one of them. And they looked great. They did. They, they looked did. great. They, they really did. And the guy that did a lot of the designing or did all the designing, I think, uh, the last five years or more, Sebastian, I mean, he came up with some really interesting concepts. He came up with the first driverless heads. I'm not sure how to do Most people would look at this and go, that's a DFC head, but it predated the DFC head. And it was extremely reliable. It worked just beautifully. Huh. Um, flexible uh, flexible arms instead of solid arms. So the links of the swashplate didn't get stressed. And just beautiful flying helicopters. And you get into things like the EXO, carbon fiber. I, I don't know whether to say frame or fuselage, but it was, it was formed in an autoclave under pressure and heat. And so it's, it's a monocoque frame. And um, again, just really good flying helicopter, really great and really interesting design. So I've, I've still got those. I've still got, I have two compass warps that are ready to go at any time. I have two XOs that are ready to go at any time. I've got a, um, a two blade and a three bladed Kronos ready to go. Oh. I've got three atoms, two stretch, one knot. I could take them out and fly them right now. Okay. Um, I've got a 6HV and a 6HVU, and they're ready to go. The really old ones have been hanging in the garage since I moved in here almost 30 years ago. The more recent ones from the last 20 years or so, they're all in canvas carry bags. Oh, wow. So you can pull one out that has been in storage for five years and unzip it and there's no rust there's no dust wow there's nothing wow so it makes it really convenient so in what i fly most of the time these days i'm a, I'm a team pilot for jr propo so i fly forza 450 in the 700 those are very very good helicopters the 700 particularly the the care and the precision and the fit and finish is just amazing of all the things i've built that is probably the finest in terms of quality these are your these are your jr correct these are my jr 450 and 700 and the 700 is and somewhere on the internet there's a whole long build thread on it because i built i had my own and i built one for june over at jr a few years ago really enjoyed building it photographed it documented it and then of course flew it he lets me fly it wow. which he's, he's a very brave man very decent guy, very brave guy. I don't think I've seen a JR um, oh, bird before. We can fix that. I know. We'll get we together need, yeah, I would love to. Yeah. I would love that. Or unless I saw one, I first met you in person a couple of years ago at a the San Diego Heli Fun Fly. So you might have had one then, then and then. Yeah, it, it might have been. It might have been there. Uh, depending how far back it was, it might also have been Compass Helicopters. Oh, uh, this is just like so. three, three years ago. Three years ago it would yeah. have been JR. Okay. So yeah. and 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 probably I had one or two steam helicopters with all JR electronics in them, of course, on the bench as well there on the table. So oh, wow. Wow. Um so I, I fly JR, I fly Steam. The Steam ones are kind of interesting. About four years ago, a guy named Minzy Z posted on Facebook a picture of this really unusual helicopter. 
unusual looking. And one of the things was really the standout thing was there's no canopy on this thing. Yeah. It's got a molded upper frames and no canopy. And the way the frames were sort of sculpted, it looked like something that uh, either would be trying to kill Tom Cruise in a apocalyptic movie or uh, the other way around. So, but really different looking. And, you know, I mean, everything or just about everything is conventional pod and boom. And this was not, this was very different. So I decided I needed one of these. Uh, so I sent a message to Mr. Z, who I didn't know, hmm. and um, said, I'm interested in getting one of these. And he said, I will let you know as soon as they're available. And he did. Uh, it was only, I think, a few weeks later. And uh, so I I worked with him and I purchased one from him. And he had it here from China to the U.S. in very short order. Uh, the only thing that i wanted to change was it had uh orange side frames or the upper the sculpted part of it and um i wanted lime green i'm very colorblind oh wow and for some weird reason no matter what the sky is like lime green stands out for me orange kind of fades away which is i mean most people orange oh, yeah. is everything orange you can everything. see it really good but yeah. but not with me so uh, I worked with him, and then Dave uh, was the importer for them for Tarot, um, for Alpha RC in San Diego. And those two guys worked together, and they got me a set of green side frames. And I got the thing together right before a fun fly in San Diego, which I think was the 2019 uh, Buzz in the Border. Oh, wow. And uh, uh, my friend Scott Dedick also got one he built an orange one so each of us had a, a 600 out there for that event and um again they're very unusual looking you've got the bright colored sculpted upper frame you've got sort of slab-sided uh carbon fiber lower frames with i don't know how to describe it they're sort of angled slots with plastic inserts almost like gills or like they used to put portholes on buicks just looks really cool yeah and the the things are really well made and they fly really well. So, you know, having gotten that one, um, I then acquired the 550, which is the next size down, uses the same side frames, shorter boom, slightly different, slightly lighter head, different motor, has a different gear ratio. So Richard, yeah, go ahead. sorry, is there only, excuse me, is there only a, a 600 and a 550? Well, to start out with, there was. Okay. Uh, to start with, there was. And then they announced the 700. And then, so I'm looking forward to that because I like the other two. And um, then they're kind of gone for about a year. Okay. And I don't, don't know the details of what happened, and it wouldn't be any of my business either way. But uh, a, a new company emerged called Steam, uh -huh. run by Mr. Z. Ah. And um, this kind of the same thing, ordered a 700 from him, got it, um, and and built that. And it, you know, really good quality, especially for the price point. And then um, later on, the 400 came out. And the 400 is, how do I put it? So it's a, a little, little different. You see several 
direct drive 400 size helicopters out right now. Okay. Yes. And um, so I don't have a lot of time on it. I probably have only a few dozen flights on it. But like the other ones, goes right where you point it and flies beautifully and very well made. And of course, everything, as I put a shameless plug in here, has JR Propo D Force Aviation Electronics in it. So shameless plug. Just but plug I love away. JR, That's so. what we're here for. Plug, yeah. plug, plug. Yeah. Plug. So with the steam, though, uh, because it's all plastic molded, it's plastic, correct? Yeah. Plastic mold. Is it? You pull it out of the box, and you is it ready to fly, or you in slow, throw no. it? No. Okay. No, you 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 build it. Um, the, the upper frames are the molded plastic. Uh-huh. The upper frames have, and this is only the five hundred, or the, excuse me, the five fifteen, the six hundred that are this way. Okay. Um, so they have channels molded into it for the um the wiring. Uh-huh. They have their own wire harness to go from the ESC in the front to the um, receiver and the fly bar student in the back. And they went to the trouble of shielding the wire bundle, which is really cool. Wow. So it's got this very fine mesh. I don't know if it's tape or a loom around it. And it's it's uh, glued inside the uh, the side frame. So it's a trough for a, your... a trough at it. Yeah, that's a that's a good way to put it. But it but it's it's glued into it when you get it, and it's you you don't have to worry about that. And um, they had recommended. Oh yeah. Uh, I don't know if officially, but you know you look in the manual, and it's a hobby wing ESC, and I like those anyway. So in that one, it goes right in, and it fits like it's made for it because in fact it's made for it. Um, I've seen people put other ones in with no problem too, other brands, but. Uh, so anyway, that's that's the first two. When you get into the 700, it's more of a conventional build. It's the, the standard carbon fiber side frames. It's a fairly low profile. It sits fairly low to the ground. Yeah. And originally that one came out with what it, it was called the Armor 700. And originally that came out with what they referred to as plastic armor. And again, the Tom Cruise analogy works perfectly fine here. Okay. okay? Um. I really liked that because, again, I was looking for something different after decades of pod and boom. Um, a lot of people wanted a conventional canopy. So sure. you can get it either way for the time being. You can get the plastic armor or you can get uh, a very nice, nicely shaped fiberglass canopy for it. Oh, no way. Okay. Okay. So then uh, – and the armor just bolts on. It's not structural. It's it's kind of like covers on a modern car engine. Total it's cosmetic. that kind of thing. And you, you you hinge the front one down to change the battery tray. Uh, you can, I think it's the back top one over the fly barless unit. You can hinge that up or you can take them all the way off or, you know, whatever you feel like. You, you get into the uh, 400, the AK, and that one is um, uh, much more conventional carbon fiber frames and uh, fiberless canopy and no option Sadly for me, for plastic armor, because I still like that. But. Okay. If you remember, I saw you at the last West Coast Urcha swap meet. I don't even know what it was called. Not Urcha, the AMA. Sorry. Yeah, in the I was that was 2019. I was working in the booth. Yes. Yeah. And I saw the 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 steam. I 
probably maybe your 550 was sitting up on the it wall. Was, it, that was, I think at that time, that was the, because uh, it was 2019, I didn't have the 550 yet. So that was the that 600? Um, 600 with the green frames. And it was on uh, one of those racks. Yeah. To hold your helicopter. Yeah. I and when you and I were and... talking about just the radios, electronics, blah, blah, blah. Yeah. I, I kind of looked over yeah. your shoulder and I saw that thing on the wall and I was just, what the hell is that? And you were well, like, oh. I, People either love it or hate it. When I take it to helicopter meets, people would look at it and some people go, oh, that's really neat. That's different. A lot of people go, what the heck is that? But nobody didn't notice it, if that makes sense. Yeah, yeah. Because it was so different. Yeah. Everybody saw it. Oh, yeah. And, you know, to fly it, they fly really nice. They go right where you point them. Amazing. And so far, essentially maintenance-free. I mean, I check them all the time. I check the links and all that stuff. But, uh uh, you know, and, and precise with another plug for JR here. So, uh, what can I say? You well, you showed me the 600, and I was I was going, where does the battery go, dude? And you showed me that the I, I don't remember exactly the specifics, but the a latch opens up and you slide the battery in, correct? Yeah, you've got a, a latch on the right hand side that you twist and it pops out. There's a pin under it that engages the battery tray between the side frames. So you do that. You've, you've got the battery wires come down from the ESC and go into um, molded in clamps on the side. And it uses the, uh, oh, why can't I think of them? They're really, really stout, like nine millimeter AMAS connectors. Okay. One on each side. So you're not fumbling for which wire goes where you're oh. not messing with little plugs and stuff. And uh, so I know you, you unplug the, the battery wires, which stay with the tray and you twist the, the little cam lock at the side that withdraws the pin. The entire nose cone comes out and the tray is attached to the nose cone. Oh, wow. So um, does it work that way on the 700 as well? The 700, uh, is, uh, there's a, a rubber tab you lift up and the nose cone swivels down. It doesn't come out with the tray. And then you pinch the front of the tray and slide the battery tray out. But once again, the battery is kind of inside the molded pieces, correct? The armor plastic pieces, yeah, they're molded plastic, but they're above. And they're not structural in the 700. They're okay. in lieu okay. of a canopy. Okay. And on the 550 and 600, the battery goes into the carbon fiber lower section. Wow. So all the radio, the servos, ESC and stuff is in the plastic. And then below that is the are the carbon fiber side frames, which is basically a box structure. And the trace lights are right in through that. Just going back for a minute, because you were talking about how there's that the trough on the, the 600 for your electronic wires, yeah. server wires and stuff. I didn't do the math. It's funny because it, I remember standing to at the AMA Expo and, and chatting with you, and then yep. you showing me that heli, and I was like, whoa, what is this thing? This is crazy. Yep. Uh, but I didn't take notice that there's no there was no servo wires hanging on the side, going down the side, or the ESC wire, or anything like that, going to the fly bar unison until you said, oh, there's a trough built in, in the middle of it. Yeah, yeah. The design is like so, it's clean. It's, it's just like it's a OCD's, you know, uh, dream. Yeah, a lot of thought went into it. The only wires you see, you have the two from the ESC that come out from below the ESC mm -hmm. through molded holes in the plastic and go into the clamps. And then you have the 
wires to meet with them that come out of holes on either side of the battery tray nose cone. And uh, if you look closely, I think it's under the right side in the back, you can see probably an inch and a half of the rudder servo wire and everything else is, is, is hidden. The servos are, you're seeing the front, I'm assuming, right? You're seeing the front of the servos, not the back? Yeah, you see the fronts of all three servos. Including the, now is the rudder in the, the or the, the rudder servo in the sort of the body or is it hanging off the boom? Oh, uh, you're going to ask me that and it's underneath, I think. I'm going to have to look here. No, that's fine. It's been a while since I've serviced one, so. Speaking of service, is it? easy to get parts for the steam helicopters with yeah there's a new importer and has been for a couple of months um it's um team hardcore products tony whiteside and kevin tucker and uh i've known these guys forever real good guys um kevin tucker kevin is the k and kbdd oh so he he really knows his stuff and then Tony is, you know, he give you the shirt off his back. He's just a really decent human being. Uh, man, that's such amazing. Thank you so much for talking about the steam models because it yeah. did have that on my questions for you to ask, but just bringing it up with your, uh, you know, what your sponsors are. So that was really good information yeah. for yeah. out there for people. And to... I, I'm not technically flying for them, but I just like their stuff. Um, I've got, uh, I pulled up a photograph of my 550 and there is a plastic tray that bolts in to the carbon fiber lower side frames huh. and that holds the rudder servo so forgive me i could not remember that oh no worries no and worries. i'll send you the photograph later so oh, you please can look at it. so please um, this next question this one's uh this is one close and dear to my heart being a uh a gen xer and watching this infamous tv show that i still every time i see a helicopter i i can think of the theme music and i have to hum it in my head but uh i don't know i don't know if a lot of people we did touch on the fact that you worked in some did model stuff for tv shows yeah but they might not be aware of that you worked on airwolf the television show yeah i did i was the first pilot that flew for it and then i was the last one and then I came back after the end of the third season. So, but, but Richard was the pilot badass, amazing episode where they Stringfellow and they go and get Airwolf. They, they steal, steal it. They and bring steal it, home. it and bring it home. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and what I was involved in was I was uh, the first thing I want to do yeah. is publicly thank a guy named Thomas Higginson, who made that documentary video, uh-huh. which I think you've seen. I think I did. Yeah, he went, he found Pete Slegel. Jack Sessom sadly passed away, I want to say around 2002, 2003. Can you uh, expand who's Pete and... Okay, Sessoms and Slegel did the special effects for almost every TV show in the early 80s. Wow. Fall Guy, Knight Rider, um, Airwolf, uh, Dukes of Hazzard. Amazing. So they did... All of these miniatures, if you watch those shows and something blew up, burned, etc., Or flew hundreds of feet across a ravine. Yeah, like a car jumping a ravine. So my my childhood dreams of them just trashing the General Lee every weekend was destroyed, literally. Well, actually, no. 
because okay. Jack and Pete did tons of that. The TV studio also destroyed lots of general leads oh. as they destroyed lots of trans amps. Okay. Um, I was on the back lot flying a demo for the, the Muckety and Mucks for Airwolf, and there's a, a car carrier with only trans ams on it and only trans ams with the, the kit Knight Rider nose and stuff. And so I was talking to somebody, it may have been Pete Slagle. He said, Yeah, every time they jump a real one, it destroys it. Oh, it destroys it. Every to. single time. So having a trans M myself, I was, well, I never jumped it. So it survived. <laughs> but, um, but in that one, back to that photo that you posted of you flying yeah. uh, the Ranger. Yeah. And then, but that was a, that looked like a model, a kit Knight Rider model. That was a model. That was a, um, a Camaro, actually. Oh. And I don't remember the scale on it, but they seemed to me, you know, I saw it. It was to me, it was between 14 and 18 inches long. And what they did was Jack was a master modeler. He had master modelers like Dave Humpert working for him. And they made molds and made parts to convert it so that it looked like kit. Oh. One of the things I learned from Jack is Trans Am and a Camaro. I thought they shared the same stampings and they swapped the noses between Pontiac and Chevy. And he said the only part that was interchangeable on a real one was the glass for the hatchback. No way. Yeah. I was, and he said, look, and he shows me on the Trans Am, there's a ridge like over the back hip fender that's not present on the Camaro. Wow. So I, he, he knew his stuff. Oh. He really knew his stuff. So I, I let us down a rabbit hole. My bad. No problem. <laughs> Richard. But How do okay, we get out? Back to Airwolf, because we, mm -hmm. we're, we're supposed to be talking about model helis here and not yeah. model cars but and real cars. But yeah. how did you get the call? That was kind of interesting. That was a kind of a long roundabout thing. I had been working at Ole's Home Centers in Pasadena. Not a hobby shop, right? Not a, not hobby, a hobby shop. No, this was hardware store. It was like uh, yeah. Ace or Osh, yeah. you know, that we used to have. So I'm working there. But I'm not making a whole lot of money. So because I was I started at the bottom of the ladder and had to work my way up there. I had worked at Hobby Shack in 1975 when I bought the old car. And so I went back there and said, can I work part time? This was at the Fountain Valley store. And they were always very nice to me. They were uh, people that ran it were very good people. And so it's like, yeah, sure. Come back. So I'm working in there and working the counter. And um, I was the oldest one there. And I was, I don't know, 26 or something. I don't know. And people would come in and ask about helicopters. Well, we had Herobo Falcon 505s and 707s. So I start to talk to them about it. And the other guys there were all, to me, kids. They were probably 18 years old, something like So they listened to me talk to helicopters. And a couple of them said, you don't know anything about helicopters, do you? You're just making this up. You can't possibly know anything about helicopters. <laughs> and so I said, okay, you guys are car guys. Bring your RC car out Sunday after work. Just do it. So what had been happening prior to this was I had this friend named Roy Levy, who was a car guy. He had worked at a different hobby shop with me years before. And a group of us will go out to a restaurant in the evening, 
And then we go out in the parking lot. He'd bring his car. I kept a GMP cricket in the trunk of my car. I used to start it in the trunk of my car with the lid open. And he'd drive the helicopter and I'd chase him on the ground and slide it had real wide flat skids, slide around after him, hop over him. He'd spin it around and we would do this until we were too tired to do it anymore. And wow. oddly enough, neither one of us rolled it up in a ball. And we did this repeatedly. So this Sunday afternoon after work, I get the helicopter out and these guys are all ready to, to yeah, the old guy doesn't know what he's doing. The old guy, a 26 year old. And so the guy started driving the car and I chased it and hopped over it and did the stuff I did with Roy. Wow. The, the, the young guys didn't give me a hard time after that. Well, oddly enough, the day after the Monday, Pete Slagle calls up Hobby People, which was a big prominent, or Hobby Shack, I'm sorry, big prominent hobby shop at the time, and said, do you know anybody that flies a helicopter that you know can do it for a TV show? And they gave him my number. So he called me, and that was actually the first time he called me. That was the first time he hired me. So, wow. uh, and I went out to the Sesums Ranch in Redlands, and Jack Sesums had this huge ranch in Redlands, full machine shop. He had the um, right-on size trains. I can't remember. I want to say it was seven-inch gauge, but it may have been smaller. Real detailed live steam, huge place to run them in the back. Uh, very professional setup. So I went out there and I flew a helicopter for him. And it's like, okay, you're hired. So that turned into Knight Rider. Oh. And because so, Knight Rider was first. Okay, right. Okay. And the studio saw the Knight Rider stuff. How do I put this? What Pete told me later on is they saw the Knight Rider stuff, the flying for Knight Rider, and that's what sold them on Airwolf. So anyway, he started talking to me about Airwolf when they... They told me to get and build two helicopters and the radios and all the stuff to get them running and flying. Okay. So I had these two friends, Ed Baxter and Roy Levy. Ed Baxter was real good guy, kind of a mountain man type, you know, full beard and stuff. Very, very precise mechanic. His full-size automobiles were perfect. He was like a salt flat racer and a, and a hot rod guy. His models were all perfect. Was he an airplane model or, or heli or both? Or He did helicopters. He did airplanes. He did everything. He, Built from he, he scratch. Was, well, from, from kits. Okay. You know, and he was an instructor at the old Anaheim Model Airplane Club where they used to fly in the parking lot of Anaheim Stadium. Oh, wow. So he, I worked with him. He built the mechanics for the airwall. So I knew those that good, trustworthy stuff. Now... For the fuselages, another friend of mine, Roy Levy, he did those. We ordered two cult fuselages from Circus Hobbies, who were the JR importer at the time. <laughs> and so Roy built these up. He did. He got the, the holes for the windows and the vents and stuff, did the screens and all those things. He did all the sanding and filling and put them in primer and then brought them to Ed, and Ed installed the mechanics up. Oh, okay, okay. Okay. Went out and test flew them. Can I interrupt, though? Yeah. How long did it take? Do you, any recognition of what, how long did it take to build? It was 40 years ago, but I think Roy and Ed had it done in two or three weeks. Wow. Because they just, you know, I mean, Ed had already built a lot of helicopters. He built Schluter Helleboys. He had built the Herobo Falcon 707, which is very similar. And again, it's very good mechanically. 
So I, I, I can't tell you for sure because yeah, yeah. it's 40 years ago, sure, but sure. Uh, it certainly was under a month. Um, so they, they asked you to build two identical? Two identical because then you need a backup, right? Right. Because if you crash one, <laughs> you're, if you only have one, <laughs> Session's you're over. Yeah. Shoot's yeah. over. Everybody go home. Yeah. Uh, and, and, and just to dive into that for a minute, when you're out there, it has to fly. If it doesn't fly, if there's no back out, they have paid the crew. They yeah. have rented the cameras. Oh, yeah. They have gotten the yeah. films. They've gotten, and it was, yeah. you know, I can't remember how many crew people there were, but it was Too between many. six and 10, I think, depending on what they were doing. And um, you couldn't have all these people sitting and waiting if there was any way to avoid it. Mm-hmm. So you had two. So anyway, we test fly these things. I took them out to Redlands, and then Jack and his people worked on them. And they had to convert them into airwolf. So they had to add, add the prosthetics to the side oh. where the windows are in the 222 on the side. And there's sort of reverse scoop on the front. Mm-hmm. And I think there were a couple of other details. Um, they had to make prosthetics for the guns yep. that pop out. Yeah. Because even on the real ones, it, it uh, and I didn't realize this at first, but this is another thing I learned from Jack. You couldn't have pop-out guns in a Bell 222 like that because... That's where the wheel goes. Exactly. That's where the landing exactly. gear goes, excuse me. Yeah. See, you couldn't do that. And <clears throat> I forget what was on the inside where the rocket launcher would pop out of the bottom. But the people that, too, you, you couldn't <laughs> yeah. have it. It could have been as simple as the engine or the passenger cabin. I don't remember. So, um, and I remember the the rocket launcher just went into the bottom of the the flying model with just a screw. Oh, nice. So you take it off, put it on, whatever. Uh, so anyway, Jack did that, and his people did that. And uh, then they painted it, and uh, all ready to go from there. So yeah, I think you've seen the the, the film and the uh, mm-hmm. the still photographs. One of the first things we did was fly it through a fireball, <laughs> and that was interesting uh, to say the least. For somebody who maybe hopefully people can go look and see if they can find the pictures of the model, or maybe we can post them somehow, or I can. But I how can big was the model? You... Oh, pardon pl- me. Are you about to say you can send me photos? I can send you photos. Oh, please yeah. send me photos because when yeah. this airs, I'm gonna I'll post yeah. photos. And, and I'll I, I'll send you a link to uh, Thomas Higginson's video too. Oh, please. Because then you, you can please. actually see on the video, you can see it go through the fireball. How big was the model? The model would have been probably about the size of a 700 size helicopter. Now mm. the 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 naming conventions were different. It was a 60 size helicopter. Okay. So probably either 700 or between six and 700. I just got a funky fuselage to go on a 600. And it seems like it's a little bit smaller. But again, I'm trying to remember from 40 years ago. Interesting. So the photos and the video, I mean, it's always, there's a, like a reference point, right? But you can usually see it towards a human man standing next, but it seems bigger than that. Yeah, it's it's about the same size as like a T-Rex 700 or something. Just with a massive fuselage, though. Maybe that's what... well. No, with the fuselage, it's not. It's not gargantuan. Oh, wow. Okay. Because okay. understand, a sixty size motor had to lift it and fly it. Right. And you think about a sixty size motor now, 
is way stronger than a 60 size motor 60 40 size years motor. ago. Right. Okay. I mean, they were, they were Schnurl ported, but, um, they weren't piped. Right. And, uh, not huge. Besides the motor, what electronics did you use for the Airwolf models? Well, interesting. You would ask me that, <laughs> um, Shameless all JR. Plug. Okay. Um, I had um, gotten two JR Century 7s for my own use a year or two before. Which are? JR Century 7 was uh, a seven channel, I want to say. I think it was seven. Channel, channel receiver? Helicopter radio. Oh, okay. Okay. And in those days, if you bought a radio, you didn't just buy the transmitter. You got the transmitter. You got a receiver. You got uh, four servos. Oh, wow. Uh, you got a battery charger. Wow. Um, usually a neck strap. Um, it was it was a, an entirely different deal. These huh. days, people go, well, I don't want a stock set of servos because I'm building a helicopter that's a different size or I want to use my yeah, own yeah, brand or whatever. Yeah, it's all customizable. So, yeah. So, in this case, all we had to do is buy an extra servo for each one because they came with four so we could run the collective separately and we're in, in good shape. Uh -huh. So, But anyway, those were selected on my personal experience with them uh being really reliable and really precise and in truth we never got glitched when we were flying them for airwolf they wow. were just solid as a as a rock okay um and it, i'm gonna go back a square i'm sorry i'm digressing all over the place no but by now, you know I do this that. is amazing the first time i ever saw jr radio i was when i was working for gorham in the summer of 1980 bill bennett who either owned or ran circus hobbies. He was a big wheel in Las Vegas. He was the JR importer. He brought in the top of the line one, and I think the next one down, and gave them to John Gorham. Oh, so wow. I had been flying Futaba radios, which I really liked, and or the uh, Hobby Shack equivalent, which was rather than the nice angled Futaba box, it had a square box, didn't have a trainer switch, didn't have all the nice features. But uh, I've been, been flying those. And I looked at these things, and these were like, I never saw anything like this in my life. And, you know, all these helicopter features, which I didn't know what they were. But I decided then and there, I want one of these. Cool. And it took me about two years to be able to afford them, but I bought two of them. And the Falcon 808s I mentioned, one went in each one. Okay. So anyway, that's what we, we used. And we used the stock servos and, um, you know, everything... Everything stock and everything worked just fine in the air. There was a gyro, correct for no, no gyro, no, no gyro. Oh my gosh! At least in the in the ones that that I flew, because again, I had a prejudice against gyros because I had flown the Cavan one, and in retrospect, um, I should have tried some <laughs> of the other ones. But it, when you when you see it flying on the video, that looks amazing. There is no gyro. It does have um, it does have mixing, and because of the Century Seven, it had uh, electronic mixing. Uh, one that would keep the rudder trimmed. You know, as you cr increase the collective, yeah. there's more drag because the blades are at higher pitch, so it wants to yell left. Right. So there was a mixer for that, okay. so you could tune that out of it. Okay. And there's another one that would bounce and overshoot. So if you punched it, it would give you a surge of right rudder and then back off. Oh, wow. And this was like manna from heaven, right? To be able to do this. Yeah. So um, 
Anyway, I digressed all over the place. No, that's forgive it's, me. No, because I I asked the digressive question again. Oh, okay. We're, it's fine. It's a heli podcast. We can do what we want. Oh, okay. So anyway, um, I flew for Pete. I Pete and Jack. I flew through the fireball. <laughs> I did uh, two demos. One was just me. One was me and another pilot out on the back lot of Universal because they wanted to see it fly. Of course. And uh, one of them, we had the tail drive wire fail. Now, this is the only failure I ever saw in one of those first two helicopters. Uh, sorry, what is that again? You had the tail what? Tail drive wire. We didn't have torque tubes. They didn't have belts. They had a two millimeter piece of piano wire that had uh, a coupling in the front and a coupling at the tail gearbox. And then there was a brass tube in the fuselage to support it. Well, it broke at the coupling, right in front of the coupling in the back. So I'm going back and forth in front of, uh, I think it was Belisario, it was all oh, the big wigs. Yeah. Um, Pete who... said there were about 200 people there. I don't, I don't know, but there were a lot of people. So it was nerve wracking to begin with. Yeah. And they were liking it. And I go out over the L.A. River, which at the time was always dry, huh. and the tail drive wire lets go. <laughs> so there's no way to get it back. So I just, it's sitting there fairly flat, pirouetting. <laughs> and I, yes, and I gradually pulled the throttle, and it settled down out of sight because the L.A. River bit is below the below. parking lot. Yeah. So Pete, being very athletic, he crawled down, he climbed down, retrieved it, climbed back up with it. He said when he got down there, the engine was still running. It was just sitting on its belly? Yeah, it was. Uh, I, I, It broke the blades. I'm sure it broke the blades. I'm okay. sure it tipped over when it hit. But it had been pulled back to idle, and it was just sitting there running. So he, uh, he uh, crawled back up with it, and I'm sitting here mortified because it's in front of the big shots. Yeah. And... Later on, he told me it was fine. They liked it. They understood that it, yeah, it had a, had a problem, but they thought it looked good, and so we were good there. Wow. So, do you want to go into the fireball thing, or yeah, yeah, okay. please. Okay. Uh, Pete did the explosions for Sesames and Slagle, and he had the some kind of a cocktail of gasoline and acetone and God knows what all, and he would put a squib in it, and. He would stand back and he put it in a coffee can and then he'd cover it, you know, put dirt on it mm -hmm. and he'd get way back. And Wait. then he'd light the squib off with a battery. Yeah. And so what you get out of this thing is this roiling fireball. Mm -hmm. I mean, I'm colorblind, but this thing is yellow, orange, black. It's and it's they're hot when he does it. Yeah. So, and again, if you saw anything blow up on some of the shows I mentioned before, it was it was these things was that him. he made. Yeah. So anyway, he wanted a shot that could be used, kind of like the Knight Rider jumping over the helicopter shot was used at least one season of the, in the beginning yep. when they roll the credits every time. Yep. yep. He was looking for something like that. So he gets this thing, the, the pyrotechnics set up. And then I've got to fly through it. And I have to fly a very specific course at a very specific altitude. And it took multiple tries to get it on course. And of course, in the back of my mind, for years I've been going, I don't want to crash a helicopter. <laughs> and I don't want to do anything to intentionally endanger. So I'm, I'm fighting this because I'm doing something that we don't know what it's going to do. I figured it would flame out. 
from oxygen starvation. Oh. So multiple passes, finally get it lined up. He lights the fireball just as the helicopter gets to it. It goes through the center of it. And the the note on the engine goes from a like that. <laughs> we we used heat shrink covering on the blades at the time. Uh-huh. The the heat from the fireball melted the heat shrink covering. The blades were intact, but the covering wrapped around the control linkage, the swashplate, and everything. Oh no. So and it's causing a tremendous amount of drag because it's flapping. So this is going down. So it was a barely controlled descent into a belly landing. Okay. And miraculously, it didn't get hurt. Oh, wow. I think I know the scene that you're talking about. Yeah, well, it didn't make it into the TV show. It did not. It did not because it was unsuccessful. Because, you know, it was just supposed to blast through. If the heat shrink hadn't come off, it probably would have been in the opening, but we'll never know. Okay. Okay. Maybe it was the, I think there's an opening where the airwolf flies through like a huge cloud of smoke or something. Yeah. There's, cool. there's, I, yeah, there's something like that. I'll have to look at it again. Yeah. It's been forever. Did that, worked uh, on the filming of the pilot. And then I had a problem because I had a regular job. I couldn't be out there all the time. Oh. They were bending over backwards for me, shooting on weekends, which was really miserable for the rest of them. Uh-huh. And so brought another guy out there and he started flying for him. He also worked on the pilot and he was there. I was gone because I just couldn't do it. He was there for the next three years. Oh, okay. So he flew seasons one, two, and three. Okay. Into season three, he leaves fairly abruptly. Okay. They're, uh, they're partway through the filming of the miniatures for the movie La Bamba. Mm-hmm. So they need that finished and filming for Airwolf for season four, even though it was scaled back. Got it. So this was the second time I got the call from Pete and he explained all this to me. Could I come back? And I said, yeah, but I've got the same constraints I did before. I can't, uh, I can't, be there probably as often as you want me. And he said, you know, we want you back. So I came back this time when I came back, I had a good friend named Robert Hamilton and I was able to bring him in as a second pilot or backup pilot. And he really decent human being, really professional. So he came back and he did some of it. Matter of fact, when they did some in Canada, he went up and did that. Oh, wow. So there's a, a scene where they're trying to rescue a scientist supposedly from a burning reactor. And they had a doll hanging from it, wrapped in a some kind of foil or mylar suit. And there's this big reactor model built out at Redlands. And of course, they had to light the reactor on fire. <laughs> yeah. And you had one shot at this because once it burned... It burned. It was, yeah, going to be done. The pressure was on. Pressure was on. So... uh the helicopter by this time was flybarless and was fairly miserable to fly being flybarless and you know it didn't have the ratios for being fly wireless and stuff but it was what it was so take it off make a few passes fly it with the doll on it and if you've ever flown a helicopter with a weight hanging from the bottom 
on a, on a like a three foot string, I, I it not. adds another component to it. And of course, fly barless and no gyro. <laughs> so it was all rather sporting. So the, the bottom line is we did it and, uh, you know, test passes and stuff and then did it, managed to get it where they wanted it and they got the shot. So wow. that was good. And I'll send you photographs of that too. Oh, please, please, please. Yeah. And I think, I think some of that's on the video as well. Do you feel like you were involved, especially it's like season one and season four in almost every episode that they were no, doing no, model stuff? No. Or it was I, just every... I, I left after the pilot. So coming back for season four. Right. Which I distinctly remember, uh, once again, watching the show, their budget constraints, I think, were hitting them from flying the actual airwolf all the time. So yes. they were writing a lot of scripts yeah. where Stringfellow and company didn't go anywhere. They didn't fly anywhere. It, it seems to me that in the fourth season, I think Jan Michael Vincent, they killed him off. They killed Ernest Borgnine off. Yeah. I can't remember what happened to Caitlin, why she wasn't in it or what the reason was. But supposedly Sinjin had come back. Yes, And that's was now correct. flying your wall. So, correct. Uh, yeah, yeah, Sinjin comes back from... Yeah. They, Stringfellow finds Sinjin in Vietnam, so blah, blah, blah. Yeah. yeah and and I, I can't remember how they killed Stringfellow off, but... Uh, unfortunate because I think he was uh, Jan Michael Vincent. I think was the real draw yes. between him and Ernest Borgnine. Oh. And my understanding is they had you mentioned the budget. They had no budget to fly the full size helicopter Correct. anymore. And so, if you saw the full size one, which was ninety nine and nine tenths percent of the flying in the first three years of it, were the full size one. Yes, yeah. Um, in the last season, in season four, if you saw the full size. Uh, and you still saw a lot of the full size, but it was all cuts from the previous three years. Correct. You could totally tell it was mm -hmm. bad. It was, it was yeah, it was chop. not as good. It, yeah, because it was chop shop. Yeah. But the, the season four was a little bit more intriguing as a fan watching the show, even though the but so uh, I would imagine that you were working quite a bit then in season four, flying the model then. Yeah, I did. Yeah, I'm trying to remember that the the things that stand out to me after 40 years were the the reactor thing. I had to fly it out of a, um, the back of a trailer or a container. <laughs> and so I'm standing in this container and I'm up toward the blank end of the container. The helicopter's sitting in front of the door. Again, fly barless, no gyro. And I have to lift it up. Container stationary, though? Container stationary. Okay. And fly it out. If you've ever flown anything, inside a con uh, a confined area well, yeah the the way the blades spin and the inertia and the suction it'll suck you to a wall or yes suck you into the wall or the ceiling so and of course i have no way out if it decides it's coming for me right and no gyro yeah no gyro so <laughs> uh managed to do it managed to blasted out the door and then had to run to the end. And as I recall, the thing was off the ground, so I couldn't just run out. So I had to run to the end and then stop it. And I have no idea how I got down out of the trailer. Wow. That's all I can remember for doing for four. Sure. So they had me out there a few times, but again, it was 40 years ago. Uh, and again, they did some up in Canada. There was wow. one scene with the Red Wolf versus the Air Wolf that they had 
Robert Hamilton and me out in Redlands, not at the ranch, but someplace where there were cliffs and we were flying up against cliffs. But I don't know what happened to that footage. So I loved the it just happened every episode of any TV show where there was one villain aircraft and yeah. one good guy aircraft. So the good guy aircraft being Airwolf. Yeah. And it would shoot down or shoot a missile or a grenade, and it would hit said aircraft. And of course, air, said aircraft would always spin over the horizon, and then a big poof of, of uh, <laughs> when, smoke when and it was flame. long out of sight. Yes, yes, it was so good. I I think there was one <laughs> when I wasn't there, but I've seen pictures of this where they were trying to do something, and they had to throw it into the bushes oh. to have it crash. <laughs> So I, I wasn't there to see that. I heard about it later. What do you think within the hobby, especially all the scale stuff? Uh, I haven't been around much scale uh, helicopters. I've seen a, mm -hmm. a couple, and they're, some of them are so beautiful. It's amazing. But what about the boom of it, when somebody says, I want to build a scale helicopter? Uh, a lot of times some people are saying, I'm going to build an Airwolf. Mm -hmm. There's kits out there to do it. Are you kind of amazed that that's something that you worked on so many years ago is still kind of lingering around like on the, on the tips of our tongue in the community. It's interesting to see it. Uh, I didn't realize that we're, there were that many people into Airwolf or Knight Rider. It's nice to see it. Um, but I didn't realize it. it has either of them have as big a following as they have. And it, it, as far as our C ones, somebody built a huge one. Uh-huh. That was just magnificent. Um, and I've seen Roban's got one. Funky's got one. And I can't remember. I think somebody else has one. My my um, I ended up with the Funky one because I, I've got a T-Rex 600E clone I'm going to put in them. And oddly enough, I this time around, I want fly barless. I want a three-axis gyro. <laughs> and I want electric because I can. One of, one of the things that just dumbfounds me is nobody will get the color right manufacturer wise nobody gets it right in the show they talk about it being black uh -huh. but it is not black it's not it's not it's gunmetal um gunmetal gray gunmetal gray uh almost like and no one will understand this reference lionel's gunmetal for their steam locomotives in the late 30s it is a mazda color um, which someone told me recently, and I actually had some mixed recently because I'm going to repaint the funky. Um, uh, I, I, but yeah, everybody thinks it's black and you see gloss black ones, the funky that the paint job's magnificent on. It's a shame to cover it up. It's metallic black. Um, I have seen blue ones, which really blows me away. Why would it be blue over white? But yet it is. Um, but yeah, nobody nobody gets that detail right. I remember Jack going, I match the full size to a Mazda color. This is it. It's Mazda Tornado something or other. I'm watching the pilot on YouTube real quick. It's just a snippet. Yeah. The lady does look black. Yeah. But it's, but however, it, there's a the scene of her flying in the desert with the, the sun hitting it just right. You're like, oh, it is gray. Yeah. Oh, it's gun. Oh, it is gray. Definitely is. Um, I'm trying to look right now. 
And this guy was real nice and gave me the color. And I really appreciated it. But I'm trying to find it under things I looked at because I was going to get it on Amazon. And oddly enough, the people who mixed a couple of the colors for the antique car, Mm -hmm. they knew exactly what it was. I had the part number because of this other gentleman. And man, that's what they do. Yeah. And I'm not seeing it here, but I will. It's like tornado metallic or something like that. So let me check one more place. That's just mind blowing that we've had the color wrong for years. Yeah. In my mind, it was always like, oh, it's black. It's black. Well, but people think it is. And if you watch the show, they talk about it being black. Oh, okay. And, you know, like I said, Jack was very proudly. I match this exactly. It's a Mazda color. But of course, over 40 years, I couldn't remember what it was. Was there a reason that the helicopter was that color? That's the color the studio painted the full-size one. Did anybody ever say like why they painted it that color? No. And and I often wondered if that was an artistic thing. I'm wondering if it was a visual, the way it pops on camera. It might not have photographed as well. I, I don't know. I really don't know. And I'm scrolling and scrolling and scrolling and uh, it's, it's in here someplace. When I find it or when I look at the paint can tomorrow, I will let you know. Wow. Okay. Uh, but even even the simulators got that wrong. Yeah. Um, yeah. I was talking to the guy who did, um, can't think of the name of it. Well, I can't find that one out right away. But even he got it black. Huh. And I knew the guy because he used to play compass. And I said, you know, that's the wrong color. <laughs> and I sent him a photograph, either of me flying it, or there's one photograph of me with it on my living room floor when I was in the apartment. And the thing is back in primer again. And the doghouse is gunmetal. Oh. So. Wow. But somewhere on my Facebook page, there's a picture of the one I got that I just got that's metallic black. And there's a picture of the other one. And they're very, very different. Well, uh, Rick, thank you so much for indulging me. Wow, that was amazing. Yeah. Uh, so we've already been talking here for quite a while now which has been amazing by the way and thank you again so much for being here i appreciate that i hope i'm not babbling too no much. not at all this is amazing um uh it, truly it, it's amazing i have questions for you about certain things but we've weaved in and out of a lot of them so i feel like some of the questions have been answered we've touched base but i mean jr let's just ask you about jr you're obviously a jr pilot and have been for a a while now yeah and a, a huge user of all of their stuff i take it mm-hmm. from mm-hmm. all the way from the electronics to uh, a couple of helicopters in your fleet so yeah what would you like to talk about with jr because i have to admit i don't really know much about jr pro jr propo has been around since at least in the u.s since the early 80s i saw the first two in 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 80 um they'd been around in japan somewhat prior to that i'm not sure quite how much and again, I was just really impressed with the things from the get-go when I saw those first two. More impressed with them when I got my first two around 82, my two uh, Century 7s. Um, I had always wanted to fly for them, but, you know, there was, like, no opportunity. Uh, I had friends that did, but I, you know, always wanted to do it but never could. Mm-hmm. Around 2012, 2013, the previous importer of JR put out feelers saying, 
were taking applications. So I sent them my resume, which included a lot of things we talked about here. Yeah. And a, a very long list of every helicopter I've ever worked with. And I didn't expect much to come of it. And lo and behold, they accepted me. Wow. So I flew for them for a few years, and then that faded away. And then here comes JR Tropo D-Force Aviation. And uh, I applied to them as well. I've said this before. They have been far kinder to me than I deserve. They have just been absolutely wonderful to me. Oh, that's amazing. In terms of support and everything else. But uh, I've been flying the, the modern JR radios, the DMSS radios, for about 10 years now, starting with the, the 14 channel. And then when the 28X came out, uh, I got that one. Okay. And I, I was in heaven because that was their new flagship. Mm -hmm. I had had on my own, I had gotten the, the 12X, which was the flagship in 2006, the 11X, which was the next one down in... 2010 and then was lucky enough to get the next flagship when that came out i want to say that was 15 that was 2015 so not that long ago not that long ago, and then can no. you still is that radio still available or has it no the 28x has been replaced by the elite okay 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 so the elite is a new flagship and i'm trying to think of the the things that really impressed me with with jr and, and, you know, early on, it was the precision and the the, the, the quality, the craftsmanship. Mm -hmm. But the modern JR, there are three things that surprised me. So I get this XG14 around 2013. I've got a Compass Atom stretch. I put this in it. Had a Robert flybarless unit at the time because I flew for them briefly. And... I got it wired with the, the PWM connections. We have 4 million wires going from the receiver to the flywireless unit. And Fluid was perfectly happy with it. So I kept, you know, going, okay, I'm flying for JR now. What is XBus? What is a serial bus? Other than cleaning up the wiring, what does this do for me? So I rewired it. I kept all the control settings the same, rewired it with XBus fluid could immediately tell the difference so what is xbus exactly it is a serial connection between the receiver and whatever it's connected to okay and and one of the things that slowed me down was trying to define that exact question yeah. there are xbus programmable servos rather than have an individual pulse width modulation connection to each servo i have servos that i connect to a wiring bus they all get the same information. I address each servo individually. The information that the servos receive is much, much quicker with a serial bus than it is with PWM. And it can also be much, much precise because it's no longer analog. It's digital. It's digital. Right. Yeah. So, and I, I'm, I'm still using the Robert Gyro, which I'm perfectly happy with, but now I can feel this significant change it's quicker, it's more precise, and that elusive to describe feeling of being connected, mm -hmm. it felt more connected. Wow, wow. So that was the, the first thing. So then a few years ago, JR comes out with synchronized servos, and mm -hmm. I haven't seen anybody else do this yet. 
but it started out for fixed wing. If you've got a big airplane and it's got four, three or four aileron servos, as, as good as servos are, modern servo, digital servos are, they're not going to all be at the same point in the rotation given the information from the receiver, right? Correct. So people would match the throw in the center and then they match the inputs, but they don't match all the way in between. And the, the way you can see this is by putting an ammeter on it and seeing as you run the travel all the way from one end to the other, where the current goes up. And there have been matchboxes and other devices to try to alleviate this. Mm -hmm. So here comes Tomahisa with JR. And he comes up with a way to, you set up one servo. You say this is the, the master servo. And the other servos, you, you put all your servos in the wing. The other servos... Oh, I forgot, I neglected to mention, you connect a programmer to this. This servo moves through 120 degrees of motion, one point at a time, and the other servos learn from it. So now I may have four servos on this wing, but they will all move identically. They will not draw additional current because they're all in the same place. They're literally on the same page and they're much more precise. So this is a boon to the fixed wing guys. So then talking to June and he's thinking, try it on a helicopter. So he sends me the servos and a programmer and it took my old faithful Forza 700, pulled the old servos out, put these in. They had to change the software and the programmer to accommodate the helicopter needs. You need a special swashplate tool that holds the swashplate perfectly level, no matter what the servos are doing. Oh, wow. And and the, the thing has to slide on the main shaft. I, I tried different kinds of, of lubricants to do it, finding Marvel Mr. Oil to be the best, ironically enough. So anyway, you start the programming and the master servo goes one point at a time, all the way up. And one of the servos learns this and then it stops centers itself, goes all the way down, and the, the server that's learning from it follows it down and learns at every point in 120 points in rotation. That finishes. Then the third servo gets the same treatment. The master servo goes up one point at a time, and the third servo memorizes exactly where it should be. So, you know, I'm doing this, and I'm going, is this going to do any good? Because cyclic servos not only move together in a collective fashion but they move differentially that's my question for you yeah. yeah so went out and flew it and i had been warned by tomohisa through june you're going to have to turn the gyro gain way down okay so i picked, turned the gyro gain way down. on the head correct on the head yes okay. forgive me and, and good point so take it up holy crap this is way more precise and just from like you know the first hover in the backyard to taking out of the field and the, the thought that it's more precise is knowing that conventional servos, as they raise and lower to your eye, they may look like they're all in unison. Mm -hmm. But we know from the aileron example that they aren't. Okay, the throws are not matched. Correct. So when this happens, the gyro has to compensate for it. And in this case, doesn't have to compensate anywhere oh, near as okay. much because they're moving in unison. 
So you go and fly this thing, and it's like, it's a much more, uh, I would say, simulator-like feeling, much more precise, and you can feel it. Probably feels very locked in. Very, very locked in. That's a that's a good way to put it. So this is the second of the two things with the modern JR that it's like, this is a game changer, and that's how they refer to the servos is uh, is game changer. So the next thing was the Elite Transmitter. Now, again, I've got years on the 28X, right, from 2015. So right. I'm very familiar with it, how it feels. And I'm thinking, this is a newer styled 28X. And I'm already hearing from my teammates that it's quicker and more precise. And they've tried to explain to me, I'm not technical up exactly how they did it. But again, to the same degree that XBus was a revelation over PWM, mm -hmm. to the same degree that synchronized servos are a revelation over even the very same servos not synchronized, mm -hmm. the Elite was quicker and more precise. So you fly the combination of these three things and you wonder, you know, where has this been all my life? The fellow that owns JR, Tomohisa Konishi, is very forward-thinking. He's very aggressive. If you look at the JR servos, if you look at the helicopter servos, in the last three years, there's probably been three that are the best servos because mm -hmm. he keeps improving them. You look at the airplane servos, he's got big block servos with massive gears in them for the, the IMAX style airplanes. And he's just, he's always thinking outside of the box. He's always moving forward. He's always trying to do something better. And it's it shows, it's wow. paying off. A couple of questions then about, well, XBus. With XBus, if did I understand this, you, you basically, a wire comes out of the XBus port, I'm assuming on the JR receiver, on, right? Yes. Mm -hmm. And then that feeds uh, uh, like a split, is that how it how you hook up all three servos? On an airplane, you would have a bus. You'd have a little block that has the bus so that all three servos connect to it. Okay. On a helicopter, it runs into on like the JR flybarless unit, there's an X bus port. Uh -huh. On V bar, there's a single line port. On Beast X, uh, there's a single line port. And as I recall, MSH Brain has the same thing. So all of these modern flybarless units are set up for the ability to do single line to connect a serial bus. And gosh, there's three or four types. There's Futaba's S bus. Yeah. There's another X bus that is not JR. And while we're on the subject, JR has two versions of its own X bus. Uh, for certain things, certainly the internal JR electronics like the, the TAGS mini flybarless unit use X bus A. And one of the interesting things about XBus A is your PWM con connections on your receiver still work. So let's say I want my cyclic, I'm going to run my cyclic controls to my gyro, and I'm going to run the servos, the cyclic servos out of there. But I want to have a, uh, a dummy pilot in the cockpit of a scale helicopter. I want the pedals to move, I want the stick to move, that kind of thing. Your PWM port still works, you can run separate servos for that. Oh, wow, okay. Yeah, it, you can do, I I have just scratched the surface with with some of this stuff. I built a valve dive bomber uh, 
before the AMA show, the one you were talking about where we talked in 2019. Yeah. And I've always wanted a Val dive bomber. Um, but I also, my excuse for getting it was I want to learn JR Xbus. Okay. So I put a receiver in it. I put, uh, ran uh, the wire out of the Xbus connector. I ran a Y harness. One went to uh, the, at the time, we don't have any more, but the JR axis gyro. Mm -hmm. The control uh, servos went into that, the aileron servos, elevator and rudder. And then outside of that, through a Y, I ran a PWM converter, which takes S bus, converts it back to PWM. And there are four flap servos on that wing. Ran it to the micro servos full of flap servos, just trying to see what I can do with it to configure it. And even that didn't scratch the surface of what you can do with it. Wow. Yeah. Really interesting stuff. My foamies, foam P39. I've got several of those. I like P39s. I have a standard receiver in it. Again, I run an XBus connection from the receiver to the the axis gyro. And then for my retracts and my flaps, I just plug them straight into the receiver. Richard, sorry, I'm I'm slightly confused. I, I'm sorry, I don't I, I tend to do that to people. No, no, no. But at the at the same token, I'm my poor brain is stuck in, you know, you plug the aileron yeah. servo into the aileron port and da 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 da. Yeah. So with the Xbus, if you're running a heli, how mm -hmm. does the three servos then connect to each other? Okay. Sorry, that's oh, where okay. I'm confused. I, and, and I, my apologies. Um, Xbus lead from receiver to fly barless unit. And again, JR's fly barless unit, uh, V-bar, not the one that has the V-control receiver in it, but the regular one. The regular one. Uh, yeah. V-Stex, MSH brain. Ah. We program those fly barless units for the uh, to accept XBus. And then your servos, as they do in every other web connecting, plug directly into the fly barless unit. Got it. Okay. Okay. The same as if if uh, any helicopter you've got this with a flybarless unit, the servos plug directly in. Correct. Just like that. Okay. That that help? Yes. And yes. I, my apologies for being no, unclear no, no, no. no it's fine. It's, I was wondering. I was like, did I miss something here? Blah blah mm -hmm. blah. So that this programming servos where they're tracking together. How do you program them? There is a Xbus programmer. Okay. And you connect a battery to it. I have a battery and a switch for mine. I keep them together. Okay. And you have the servos bound in the helicopter because you want to synchronize them with the geometry that's on the helicopter. You don't sync them on the bench. You want Which makes to, sense. Yeah, like your XL power there, if you did it, yeah, you'd synchronize them on the helicopter. Okay. Okay. So with the programmer connected, you go through the syncing routine that I described earlier. Right. And then when you disconnect all that, they remember. Oh, okay. So there. That was the key thing that Tomahisa did for the helicopter servos. They remember. So whether I plug them into my Tags Mini or a V bar or a Beast X, they remember. Now, if the gyro is not as precise, that's a whole different can of worms. All right. Because, you know, you and I both know when you move the stick on the transmitter, you're saying, Okay, we're going through XBus, we're going to the gyro, and the connections from the servos to the gyro are still PWM. Mm -hmm. 
So if the gyro doesn't give the exact same pulse widths, it, it won't match. But so far, I've done it with V-Bar, I've done it with Tags Mini, and it's been fine. I think I'm catching on here. I'm Sometimes I'm slow with the... You're not slow. It's my poor job of explaining it. I don't think so. Not at all. I'm just trying to catch up. Richard, so I'm a, I'm a V-Bar guy. Yeah. Sorry. I started out with Spectrum. And mm-hmm. then, you know, funny enough for me, I went to V-Bar because everybody at my field was flying V-Bar. Yeah. And so yeah. it was just more of like, well, if I have trouble, I've got 20 phone numbers in my phone to call. Yeah. I mean, yeah. that's literally what it was. Yeah. But the one thing about V-Bar, though, is the setup and integration in the radio is just so fantastic. The fact that you just don't have to lug around a computer to set your heli up or you can make changes at the yeah. field easily. Is that the same, though, with JR as far as integration and all that? At the moment, no. Okay. The, um, the Tags Mini, uh, which has been our flybarless unit for years now, mm-hmm. my understanding is that has been discontinued in favor of the one Nick Maxwell is working on. Ah, I was going to ask you that because I, I looked, I was trying to do a little bit of research and I couldn't find any flybarless helicopter gyro receivers on the JR website at all. And I was yeah, like, oh, okay. I, I think they have removed it. Um, I have got, uh, I think I've set up about nine of them so far. I've got two sitting in reserve. Oh, wow. Um, the level of integration we do have with it is partial. Okay. And so what you can set it up so that you can adjust your gyro gains in flight, which is nice, yeah. but you can't get to the pits. Okay. And depending on the fly barless unit, you have to have one channel for each axis to control the gain. Uh-huh. Um, some of the fly barless units will do it that way, some of them won't. Right. But like right now, I can adjust the actual gains uh, from the transmitter mm-hmm. in flight. I can do that with the tags mini. And oddly enough, I can do it. Uh, my good friend Steve Randall showed me this. I can do it with the rover because it has a separate channel for each gyro game. Oh, wow. Okay. So it's partial integration. Oh, okay. All so right. now we don't know. We know Nick Maxwell is, is working hard on something and flying it. And um, we know coming from him, it is going to be extremely good. I expect nothing less, quite frankly. I no pressure, yeah. Nick, if you're listening to this. I, I think we all are because it's Nick's Maxwell. Yeah. He's known, he, known well, he's, he's such so, a smart dude. and Yeah, a, he's he's brilliant. So, But we don't know what those things will all be yet, and I, I, I don't want to speculate on it. Um, I know he's been on our show a while ago. He chatted briefly about xbus and what he's doing with xbus and the new yeah. the flying jr servos and blah 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 and it was kind of was like, yeah. Ooh, uh. i'm just always i'm always curious about the latest and greatest thing what's coming new in the hobby that seems fun and exciting because it's hey man well, you know it's the hobby is part of like tinkering is fun to a lot of us the tinkering and the learning and you know i'm like 66 years old now i'm working a whole lot with the elite and as it pertains to helicopter right and i'm still learning stuff Right. Uh, one of our customers was talking about who's become a friend over the internet. He's adjusting his throttle curves in flight. And I just did a video on that okay. based on his idea. So I'm out there a few weeks ago and I'm pulling with a, a EXI T-Rex 450 Pro clone. 
and I lift it off and my RPM is too low. So rather than land, go into the throttle curve menu, mm-hmm. lock the servos out so they won't move while I'm messing around and idle up one on while well, the thing's on the pad, I'm going, my RPM's too low. Oh, I'm just going to bump it with the throttle trim tab. And the wow. whole curve goes up. And, you know, the level of things that can be done with the radio are amazing. And as, as far into it as I've gotten, I've spent a lot of time, I think, there's a lot more to go. A lot more to go. Yeah. So, and then again, we don't know. Really looking forward to Nick Maxwell's fly barless unit. Yep. I'm really interested in seeing that where that takes us really far, really far into a really competitive position. Wow. And the, the next time I see you at the field, I'll bring the Elite out. Okay. And you can see what it feels like. So, you have an Elite. I have an Elite. Oh, yeah. cool. So I've, I've had an Elite, uh, I've had, with testing. Oh, okay. I've had four of them. Well, I've had three pass through my hands. The fourth one's stuck. The white Elite, I'm not getting rid of that one. I okay. love that one. But it's like, test with this one, fly it. Okay, we've got, an, you know, this is early on before it was released. I was flying them. And then I flew another one for better part of a year. And it's like, okay, we got another one for you to try it. Oh, wow. And I'm assuming uh, Nick and our friend Kyle Stacy is also flying elites. I think I think Nick has an elite and a matrix. I'm not sure. Okay. Um, Kyle has one of them. I'm not sure which he's got. He might have two of them too. Okay. All right. Uh, in in general, and mine's an exception. If you see the white one, it's the matrix. If you see the black one, it's, it's the, the elite. Ah, okay. Yeah. So, but they have made them both ways. I see. I guess I haven't seen a black matrix, but again, I've got a white elite. I haven't seen one in person, but they're very good looking radios. That's yeah. for sure. If you feel the sticks, the gimbals, you feel the overall quality of the radio, you'll go, I need one of those. Yeah. I wanted to ask you about setups with the JR transmitter. How easy is like the pitch curve, your uh, throttle curve, and all that in the, the JR radio to set up? Very, very easy. In general, and I, I think most people do this, I'm running three flight modes. I have the throttle curve for each flight mode mm-hmm. set separate. Pitch curves, pretty much I keep the same because, right. you know, you're going to run from minus 11 or 12 to plus minus to 12. You had mentioned something about flying style before, and when I learned, the object was to be smooth. So ah. I set everything up to me to be smooth. I never set up the collective so that it gets ahead of the throttle curve and bogs. Oh, okay. uh, I know some of the guys that are real, real good at the really hard 3D, they have it set so the pitch curve is really higher than they could sustain the RPM at. Correct. And they, they bang into it and come out and... Uh, I, I know for a while, and I don't know if this is still a thing, some of the flybrowler units, you could set it up so the collective would overshoot and then bounce back. So you could get just a touch of more more collective than you normally fly with and come back. But I don't do the harsh 3D. Everything to me is to be smooth and flowing. Okay. So if you watch me fly, you will be bored. <laughs> but that's... That's how I fly. I don't know. I won't uh, be bored. Hey, trust me. The times where I stand out there on the flight line and try to discipline myself to make it look smooth and 
poetic, shall we say. That bird is doing nothing of that from my fingertips. It's just, ah. it's making the turn. That's a plus. So I'm, I'm sure you're much better than you're letting on. Uh, I, I look to people like, if you've ever seen Robert Gorham fly, and I don't know that he flies much anymore. I saw him fly back around 2013. Okay. And he is a master of smooth. Oh, wow. Uh, just something as simple as lifts the helicopter up a little bit above eye, eye level. And he did this with um, a JR Forza 700 and a uh, JR 12X at the time. And just perfectly controlled, slow, pirouette, and it's windy in front of himself. And that the the rate of the turn was constant, the altitude was constant, and it was perfect, and it it, it flowed, and anything he would do, it's perfect, and it flows, and it's smooth as glass. And um, I think he would deny it, but I think he's still a master at this. Again, at the time he was doing this, the time he was competing, it was smoothness. It wasn't hairball 3D. And both types of flight are really interesting, but I would prefer to watch somebody smooth like Robert Gorham than somebody just smack it. But I'm in the minority and I'm old. <laughs> uh, you, you watch Turek fly. And he's another one. He's an absolute master. I don't I don't know who he can even think of what or conceive uh, what he's doing. He's like a, a virtuoso he, on a yeah, musical yeah, instrument. He flies so hard and so fast. Yeah. It's like, dude. Yeah. Reflexes, setups, everything's gotta be perfect to do that. And and you know, he is the master at that sort of thing, or one of the masters of that. He's one of my tops where I, I really want to see him. Yeah. Someday, somehow, watch him fly. Yeah. The aggressiveness. It's just like he turns a switch on and it's just like, ah, and then the battery's yeah. dead. Yeah. And complete <laughs> control. And of course, the other thing that is a characteristic of a virtuoso, he looks completely relaxed doing it. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and, you know, if I tried to do that, first of all, the helicopter would not survive. But, um, <laughs> Ditto. you know, I know every time I fly, I'm always going, is it smooth? Is it straight? Did I pull the tail in there? You know, is it flowing? And I'm always working and I'm always very critical of my own flying. The fun thing, though, man, one of the amazing things about the hobby is generally you go to the field with a couple of packs and your two favorite birds and no one is judging you about your flying style yeah. or your what you're doing. Uh, you be you. And you fly yep. you, you know, how, what you are capable of. And if you feel like pushing that day, then push, you know, and go for it. If you feel like just having a nice relaxing flights out of the, at the field, then go for it. That's the amazing brotherhood about the hobby. It's really cool about that. Because I, I was very self-conscious when I went to the field for the first time with my little 270, like, eh. But nobody, you know, yeah, yeah, do your thing. Go hover. Yeah. Sweet. Yeah. En enjoy. And yeah. that's what it's really all about. That's what we're here. I mean, years ago, at one point when I was young and very foolish, I thought, oh, I'm going to be the best at this. I'm going to win a contest. Well, that never happened. And, you know, in retrospect, looking at it, ability, finances, time. Sure. It was never going to happen. Right. Right. But I do love just going out there and doing it, just flying. 
I just like it. Wow. That's another thing where at this point in my life, whereas I couldn't always before, I can have the more precise stuff and really enjoy it. It's an amazing time, really amazing time to be in the hobby. It is indeed. Technology factor of it. And like I said earlier, I'm just really curious about what's what's next, people. Well, I don't know about you, but I always go, how can it get any better? When I got my 12X years ago, I thought, how can this get better? How can it possibly get <laughs> yeah. better? What what more could I want feature-wise? Mm-hmm. How much more precise could it get, mm-hmm. et cetera, et cetera? And that was 2006. That was 17 years ago. Right. And it's like, it is so much better now. And it's so, so much. much in terms of leaps and bounds. And, you know, you go back to when I was flying Schluter Hellboys. How could this get any better? Wow. And it did. So then you get you know, Robo Falcons wow. and GMP competitors. And then Schluter Superiors. You know, all these things sort of stair-stepping and competing. And it keeps getting better. Competition is very good for our hobby and our marketplace. Yes, it is. I think I could speak for most people. I, I, The advancement of technology and whatever comes next with radios and receivers and integration and all that, those bells and whistles are so much fun. They really are. Yeah. They're just enjoyable. I like a car that's completely loaded with every bell and whistle. Yeah. That's the way my life is. I kind of expect my transmitter and my receiver to have the same bells yeah. and whistles, including the heated seats. Thank you very much. If your transmitter gets heated seats, I want to talk to you. Yeah, <laughs> something might. Eh, no. It's a mod. It's a mod. Don't worry about it. No, mm. battery technology, man. You know, it's getting there, but it's eh, I don't know. It's a little slow. But we're at the bottom of the the food chain as far I as I agree. I agree that the cars and the other things, the cars and the telephones, the, the cars, the telephones, and the iPads and all the devices. Those are that's what's going first and. Yeah. Now, I keep saying things about sodium-based batteries, and I don't know where that is. I know every few years, somebody, usually in one of the helicopter forums, will say, look, the new batteries are here. They're not volatile like lipos. They're lighter. They deliver more energy. They're better in all these ways. They charge quicker. But I never see them. They never materialize. Well, still, how far has battery technology come in your career well, I started with NICADs, and you had, like the Airwolves, they had four-cell JR NICAD pack, and it was probably 900 to 1,200 mil. You're talking analog servo, so you're not drawing that much current. Sure. But we sure charged them all the time. Yep. Kept them going. Yep. Checked them with an expanded scale voltmeter and make sure we didn't have a battery problem just, uh, you know, by wow. running them too long. Yeah. Um, first electric helicopter I ever saw was an Ishimasa at Bluebird, and this was, we talked about the revolution having fixed pitch, free-floating gimbal head. This was the same thing. It was very lightweight. You had your choice. You could fly it with two sticks of NICADs like they used to run in the RC cars. Okay. And I don't remember if it was six or eight cells, but it was enough weight that the poor little Skylark, that was the name of it, Ishimasa Skylark, but it noticed the weight. Or you could tether it to a car battery. And I think when I flew it, it was tethered a car battery. Really hook it up to a car battery and then fly Have it around. Have a cable going to Dangling. the helicopter. You talk about getting to the end of your tether being a problem. This could be disastrous. So <laughs> uh, this good friend of mine, real decent guy, sadly also long gone, John Lund, um, 
he had one. He worked for the importer in California, which was Condor Hobbies. And I think there have been like three or four other businesses named Condor Hobbies since then. But he had one and he let us fly it. And RPM was really slow. It was a belt-driven tail. And the belt, I don't know how to describe it. I remember orange. Of course, I'm colorblind, so take that with a grain of salt. Okay. But it was round or tubular. And it might have been the, the heat melt stuff. But uh, RPM on this thing was bizarrely low. It had a throttle like the old RC car throttles with the ceramic rheostat. And I think it had two motors on it. And again, I'm going back. This is 79, 80, 81, something like that. Um, and this thing was so swimmy. We're flying under the lights at the old, remember the city shopping center at Garden Grove? Yep. Flying out there and uh, flying this thing, trying not to run it to the end of the line because you'd know what would happen. It would jerk and slap into the ground. And I flew it for maybe a minute or two, set it down, thanked my friend very much and never touched another one. <laughs> and I think your duration with the NICADs and they, they couldn't deliver the current like a lipo. It was not even close. They were sub-seas, as I recall. I think the duration was just a couple of minutes. sub I, I can't remember that. Sub-seas. Jeez. Okay. They were like a half inch in diameter and maybe an inch long. If you look at like an old associated car, mm -hmm. it was that kind of pack. Mm. So, I mean, ancient stuff. Uh, stone tools. But... You know, I, I flew that and I got into electric helicopters in, I mean, modern ones. Right. 2003, 2004, something like that. T-Rex or? Um, I started out. Or JR? No, not JR. I started out with Hobby Shack, which changed the name to Hobby People, was selling privately branded Wakaras. Oh, oh. So I got, okay, Wakara number four, which was their Sabre. Mm -hmm. And that, that had NIMH batteries in it, and it had a brushed motor. And that was, it would fly, but it was, I'm going to be polite and say, not, not the best <laughs> I've ever flown. Not great. Maybe marginally better than the Ishimasa. Okay. Okay. So then I got a T-Rex 450 CDE. Oh, somewhere in there I had a Shogun from Hobby Shack too. And that was much better. It, uh, I'm trying to remember. I can't remember what the batteries were in that. It had Bill Hiller Sterian Collective and very little belt. So it was really slow. It flew nicely, sort of politely, mm -hmm. but real slow. So then I got a T-Rex 450 CDE, which was the old one. It was the first one that had black plastic side frames. And CDE somehow translated into CCPM. So it had bell cranks on it to convert it to CCPM. Uh, what, what's the definition of CCPM? Because my... CCPM, three servos connected directly to the swashplate. Oh, thank you. Your your, your uh, helicopter sitting behind you is CCPM. Yes, thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Sorry. That's Cyclic just, collective Yeah, I'm, 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 I'm going to leave that in the show just because. That's, that's just because I'm really old. There was MCPM, which is 
uh, a separate servo for collective. Oh, okay. Okay. Um, you go, sometime we'll we'll talk offline about different collective schemes because the thing you see now mm -hmm. in every helicopter with the three servos, occasionally four, like in the Bellows, right. raise and lower the swashplate in unison. That's not the way it was. It was a wire going up a slot or a hollow main shaft that raised one end of the Bell Hiller mixes, mixers in general. I, I think I'd have to see that in order to yeah. understand I'll, the concept. I'll send you a picture of a, of okay. a, a Helloboy head. Now, Kavan early on was using CCPM. All right. And... I remember the first time I looked at one of those is how are they making this work? <laughs> and you get, you know, again, we'll talk offline, but you get into washout controls. Okay. To keep the paddles level as the swash plate raises and lower. You didn't need a washout control with the wire to move the collective. Uh, it's been a long, long time since I've looked at or flown a flybard head. Flybard, yeah. Well, it would have it had a washout control. Um, the only one I remember that didn't have one was the old Falcon 555. When you increase the collective, the swash plate went up, mm -hmm. and the paddles, as the collective increased, the paddle pitch decreased like they had collective pitch. Weirdest thing you ever saw. What was the benefit behind that, though? It was a way, it, it was not a benefit at all. <laughs> and the okay. paddles were so small, and they were cast metal. They were more like weights. They, they did a little bit of Hiller input. There was Bell Hiller mixing on it. But not a lot. So was it more for counterbalancing than anything? The fly bar and the paddles are almost weights. That was still for, it was still for stability. It was a gyroscopic stability. Yeah. And if you ever flew a 555 or a 505, they were so stable, they didn't want to move. Oh, wow. You give it a cyclic command. It's like, no, I'm staying here. Thank you. I don't, I'm not moving. I don't know. Roll, y'all, no, not y'all, but roll, pitch, we're not going to do it. So you would have to give it more input in order to get yeah. it to go off center? Yeah, it fought you. Oh, wow. They were intended for beginner helicopters. They oh. were just a very different way of doing it. And then several people for a while, as the swash plate went up and down, the entire fly bar raised and lowered with it. They didn't have a washout control either. I understand now. Y you look back at it, you're going, what were they thinking? But it, then they were trying to figure it out. That, yeah. So, and I, again, I have digressed all over heck. I'm sorry. No, please. This is really very, very intriguing information. It's just so. You're still awake, which I'm actually quite surprised. <laughs> Not close to my bedtime uh, yet. That's why. You know, we should talk KPDD. Oh, yeah. yeah. Well, that was my next uh, question for you. You're a very wise man. I've been flying for KBD, I want to say, since around 2008. Hard to remember. What does KBDD stand for? It was Ken, and I can't remember. The K was Kevin Tucker. Okay. So it was Kevin and Dream Designs. It might have been his wife, oh. the B. Barbara like, Dream Designs. I can ask him. Okay. Uh, and they started out, and I, I'm not sure exactly what all the, the workings of the company were. It was Kevin Tucker. It was Dick Cook and his lovely wife. They were making plastic molded fly bar paddles and tail blades. And I don't know which was first, but they started coming out with them for 450s. And for a long time, when the T-Rex 450 came out, it eclipsed everything. It competed initially with the Shogun mm -hmm. that I mentioned before. Mm -hmm. And the Shogun just disappeared because the T-Rex flew so much better. Wow. 
But, you know, it's like, do I want to spend drive carbon fiber tail blades for my little helicopter here? I think even the aligned blades at the time tail blades were probably plastic. So here comes KBDT with these brightly colored tail blades that are not only really easy to see, which helps visually in your flying your helicopter. Yeah. They're really, really efficient and they work way better. And they would go to Urchar, various places, meets, and they give them away mm-hmm. to get, it's like getting people addicted, right? Yeah, you give them a the taste buzz. and they yeah. want them. Yeah. So they did that. They had, uh, they started making fly bar paddles. And I remember I never had one, but they were giving out t-shirts that says, I got paddled at Urcha by KBDD as they <laughs> gave out the paddle. <laughs> so and good. those were unique in that they had two holes in them. There was, um, uh, for the fly bar to mount it, there was one at the front, which was the more stable setting. The paddle would tend to want to feather more. Okay, because there was more surface area behind the axis of rotation. Okay. And then there was a hole further toward the back. And I can't remember if it was at the middle or just behind the middle. But here, instead of resisting feathering, these things wanted to feather, right? And they were real, they were sharp. They weren't real thin, but they weren't real thick either. They were a real good kind of blend. And they give you a real good uh cyclic feeling Hmm. so you've got these things they're quick but they're stable you got the tail blades they start making tail blades in larger sizes they start making paddles in larger sizes they started making dampers oh okay and the dampers were color-coded which okay they were all gray to me but they were color-coded and based on the color you had different firmnesses and you had different levels of how progressive the firmness got when the uh, feathering shaft flapped. So some would, would be pretty stiff to begin with. So the shaft wouldn't want to flap that much. Some would, as it flapped more, it became progressively harder. And all giving you a different feel on your tuning. Oh, okay. So, uh, and it, it made a big difference. And they'd send me these things. Uh, I got into them because they were the, uh, they had just become the compass importer. Mm. So I contacted them, you know, want somebody to fly for you, because I had a a Knight 50 and a Knight 3D. And they just came out with the Atom, which was the 500 size, the T-Rex 500 had been out. So they, they sent me an Atom, and uh, that flew really, really good. And I started flying for them, and even when they stopped being the compass importer, I stayed with them for, well, at the time, paddles and tail blades and, and uh, dampers. Now, the paddles have gone by the wayside because they're now antique. Yep. The dampers gradually kind of went away. They had people trying to put them in DFC heads. And as you know, or you probably know, a DFC head cannot be allowed to flap. Because a DFC head has rigid arms coming down from the blade grips to the swash plate. Oh, These right. also drive the swash plate. Right. And if it flaps, puts a lot of stress in the link. So um, the helicopters that had true DFC heads had solid dampers, Delrin, Palm, whatever. So they could not flap to prevent that. Okay. Um, the Compass helicopters, which had driverless heads, those had flexible arms. So 
as the head flapped, the arms didn't get overstressed and the links didn't get overstressed. Right. So you could run dampers. So you could tune those heads with different dampers. And for a while, the 6HV and the 7HV came from the factory with KBD dampers. Oh, okay. Yeah, the the lime green ones, as I recall. So anyway, uh, KBD since changed hands. It's now owned by a gentleman named Justin Avon, Uh who is... You want to talk about decent people in the hobby? I hold him right up there with with Kevin and with Dick Cook and his wife. I really decent person. He got into carbon fiber rotor blades. Ah, okay. You see our blades in general, they're either bright green or they're they're black in the top and they have orange and lime green or yellow and then they're orange on the bottom. Right. And we had talked about this offline a little bit. The mm-hmm. people that are doing night flying, the things really stand out. So, Light up the sky. What I first, pretty sure I mentioned a while ago when I first met you, which was at the San Diego, uh, 2019 San Diego Heli Funfly. Mm-hmm. And uh, I don't remember who the pilot was flying, uh, but it was at night under the spotlights, of course. But he had yeah. the orange, and I'm, I'm pretty sure he was flying a 600 or 700 class yeah. machine. Man, those blades just lit up like a Christmas tree, and it was so visual. It's so easy to see. They're visually gorgeous, uh, even in the daytime. It's really amazing. Yeah. They stand out really well. They're a good blend between stability and agility. There are faster blades out there. There are slower blades out there. But these are really good blades. And every helicopter I have that they will fit on, I've got them on. Okay. So... um there are some like the we we talked about steam before, the AK four hundred. There aren't any in that, in that size. Oh, okay. So they're not on there. But um, you know, my other steam helicopters, it's KBDD. My uh, Forza seven hundred, KBDD four fifty KBDD, and you know all my compass stuff and everything else. So do you think they're a, a fast blade or, or kind of a slower blade off center or what would you describe them they're, as? They're in between. In between, they're they're not going to be they're not going to be fast like a rotor tech. Mm-hmm. Rotor techs I consider pretty fast, and they're not going to be real slow. But they're just they're in between. And then you've got the standard or sport blade, and you've got the EEs, EE, which is the extreme edition, I believe, right? Extreme edition, and those are the quicker ones. Oh, okay. Um, back when the cooks had it, they came out with four fifty size blades. 325 size blades, excuse me. And so I took, what was it, a compass warp out to the Rose Bowl, and they sent me one set of each, one's the, 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 the EEs and the uh, sports. I forget, I think I had the stock blades on the warp, which were really lightning fast. Unfortunately, they were completely black. So they disappeared in a blue sky. <laughs> so anyway, I go out there and I put the, like, the sport blades on. And it was a Beast X on at the time. And I fly it, and I tune it, and I fly it, and I tune it, I fly it, I tune it. Okay, I get it about where I want it. This is how this feels. Land it. After a few flights, uh, I go and change to the other set of blades, the EEs. Had to retune everything. Oh, wow. And even though they came out of the same mold, the stiffness was different. The weight was different. Flexibility was different. And I tried to tune them both optimally. Mm-hmm. And they felt very different. The, the the sports are smoother, slower. 
the E's are quicker. Oh, so. Okay. So anyway, I've been I've been flying for them. I've been flying for Justin for years now, and uh, I still really love the KBDD products. They're based out of Phoenix, correct? Uh, they were in Phoenix for a while. Justin lived in New York. Oh, he moved to Phoenix for a few mm-hmm. years. Missed New York. Went back. Oh, probably melted. I was surprised that he'd gone back, but he missed it. Hmm. So I mean, I think I would miss Southern California if I moved. So ditto, ditto. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. It's too nice. Do you so, know is KBDD? Can you only acquire the blades through their website? Is that correct? Um, some other stores had them. I'd have to. I'd have to go online and. Dig. I kind of dug around a little but, bit, but I didn't see anything. Yeah. So, the one uh, A Main used to have it in Northern California. I think Hilly Direct used to have it, but I don't know if they still do. And blades are one of those things. Um, I I. It's kind of worn off, but I used to be kind of amused by this. I'd go out to the field, and at the time, most people were flying a line. So you see a line helicopter. Everybody's got a line place. Yeah, yeah. Then rotor techs come along. So I go out the same group of guys. They're all flying rotor techs. It's, it's all rotor yeah. techs. So then go back a couple of months later, they're all flying something right. else. Right. I've seen that change, but it's a fad thing that, um, okay, he's flying really good. I want what he's flying, right. and everybody gravitates over right. there. And once in a while, you'll see one of these things mix. Um, I used to watch it with some of the Flavor of the Month servos. Mm-hmm. I got these. These just came in. Look how great yeah. they are. They fly great. Everybody goes and gets whatever this whatever is, server right? Whatever yeah. And so then you start to hear, well, this one failed on me, but they're still really good. I got another one. Oh, another one failed on me. So then somebody else comes out. I just got these. They're better than those. And so you have kind of a flavor of the month thing going, and you just watch people running back and forth. And, of course, I'm sitting here fat, dumb, and happy running the JR servos. And I got some of them that are getting close to 20 years old I'm still using. Wow. So, and yeah, I don't fly hard. Right. But they just last. So... I did a little bit of research going back to GR for a second. It's there's yep. only two options for the heli guys as far as servos, or should I say one option for a cyclic and one option for a uh, tail? That's in the full size. Um, oh, you correct in a full size. In the full size, and if you look, and I, I don't know how you would look, but historically, they upgrade the servos about once a year. Oh, okay. So. Tomahisa is always pushing. I want better. better. I want faster. Yeah. I want more precise. I want him to run cooler. That was a big thing for a while. He wanted him to run uh-huh. cooler. And the newer ones run cooler. Okay. So um, I probably got four or five generations since I've been flying for JR DFA of cyclic servos, helicopter okay. servos, just in the full size one. Um, for the micros, we got E397s now, which are real quick, run higher voltage, and have been excellent in my AK400. And I've been flying June's Forza 450, and they've been really good in that too. Yeah. So uh, I can't, forgive me off the top of my head, think of what the medium sized ones are. 
And I think Nick is testing still newer ones. Oh, so you may see it change again. Oh, oh. Those might be the ones that are out oh. now. Or, but, you know, if you want somebody to push it, wow. him, yeah. Kyle, those guys those can push, push it. it. I can't push it, but those guys can just hammer on it. I have no idea. I'm kind of curious about what the, like I said, the future holds with uh, uh, Kyle and Nick about what they're coming out with with JR. I am too. Uh, I'm looking forward to it. I'm really happy we've got them. I think that was a great move. On JR's part, yeah. I'm surprised. Did you hear Nick tell the, if I can remember this correctly, uh, he went around and said, hey, I want to do something. And everybody was like, eh, we're, not, we're good. And then he went to JR and they were like, yeah, let's do it. And then I was yeah, I'd heard that, but I didn't know how much to comment on it. As I said, Tomahisa is like always better, faster, more precise. So, and 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 I'm sure he he jumped on it. Wow. So, Richard, that seems like with a little bit of research I've done, JR is carried by several retailers in America, anyways. Yeah, there's a, a few. I couldn't list them all. It's a few in Europe too. Um, I, uh, the importer, JR Propo D-Force Aviation is in San Pedro. Uh, funny enough, their, their so, address says Redondo Beach, California, right up the street from yeah. my house. I'll look, I, I believe it's San Pedro, but I... Right around the corner from yeah, me. very close. I go down the freeway and I get off, like, right near the Vincent Thomas Bridge, and it's right there. Do you so. know they list prices, but can you buy directly from them as well? Or I believe a customer can buy directly okay, from cool. them. Yeah. 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 Go on. Yeah. Of course you can. Go on to the website. Yeah. Edit that, please. Yes. You can buy directly <laughs> from them. Go on the website. <laughs> so you've, you've looked at the website, yes. right? Yes. Yes, I have. Yeah. And everything that's current is on there. Um, Currently, helicopter-wise, the four is a 450, the four is a 700, the four is a 600N, and the E6. Okay. So we got four right now. Oh, wow. The E6, uh, I've never owned one. I've never built one. A good friend of mine built one. And that one is really different because it's bizarrely lightweight. So the E6 is what class, though? It's There's a 500 and a 550, and I think he did the 550. Okay. This thing, it's got bell cranks for the cyclic, but they bolt on like servo arms. They bolt onto the servos, and they saved so much weight on that thing. My friend can fly it really hard. He's let me fly it. I tool around with it. Not my helicopter, sure. but, oh, my God, it's quick. Sure. Well, Richard, thank you so much. I'm out of questions. You've just dove into the information window, and thank you again for joining me here today and talking about all this stuff. It's been incredible. You're welcome. I appreciate your, your doing this. I appreciate your staying conscious while I talk. <laughs> Um, Not at all. And I think I talk too much. So, Well, a good question for you is if somebody wanted to reach out to you, ask questions about JR, uh, ProPro, or uh, KBDD, how can they get a hold of you? Best way is on Facebook, where I'm there under Aklem, which is A-H space C-L-E-M. And there are numbers of Aklems on uh -oh. there. But I'm the only one that will have an old car, or for my avatar, it's a JR Elite Radio. That should be a dead, dead giveaway. It's at least a good hint. Maybe that's so, the guy. I don't know. Should I click on it? Yeah. <laughs> or is it spam? No. Yeah. Richard, thanks again. We're going to end the show. Do you uh, do you have a hashtag for me? Air tuna. <laughs> well, <laughs> sorry. What is what is 
hashtag air tuna. Okay. Uh, when Jack Sessoms painted the first two airwolves, he said, they look just like flying tuna fish. And so from then on in, not every time, but in most cases, he called it air tuna. So good. Well, I have hashtag 8S or bust. Because I'm going go, ah, to go, finally go 8S on that. Toying around that idea for a long time. I'm going to pull the trigger. Yeah, keep us posted. Hashtag, I think it only took us eight months to get you on this podcast because I've been it did. threatening. You were so kind as to say, I thought you just didn't want me on anymore. And I was like, oh, no, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I travel, work, work, travel, no, travel. I I did another podcast, and I, you know, I thought you would. Oh, don't need him no, anymore. Not at all. Not so. at all. Thank you, Richard, so much. Thank you. Thank you, everyone, for listening. Everybody, have a good night. Bye.